Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. Five goals in 20 minutes. It's just, you can't do that. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven Friday morning, it's OTB AM. Good morning to you, wherever it is you are at this morning. Delighted to have you along with us. And Shane is here. Shane, how are you doing? Very good morning, Adrian. How are things? Ryan, Colm, how are you? Lads, how are you? Um, both, um, you know, done very well in the fashion sex this morning, lads. Fair play to you. Right, right. Well, I was getting abused the other day for wearing something that was too skin coloured. I, I kind of oh, looked yeah, like I was that. fading mm. into the wall mm. almost. You know, us, us pale men. Mm. Yeah, Colm's actually a bit more Spaniard looking maybe than, than myself. The yourself, context is that it's bacon in here, Shane. It's and, um, Colm is just so being a slave a, to so the we fashion. Got a, we got an email there last you know, night. Despite the jumper that he's got on him that is like would keep you warm in yeah. Alaska. Tolsty. Uh, we got an email there last night wrap up in the office this morning might be a bit cold so uh, I listened Adrian never read the email do you not Do you not like play the conditions like that when you arrive at the stadium and it's actually not exactly as you expected do you not I kind of tweak your cold. attire I prefer to be warmer than colder you're going to be in here now for 20 minutes and by the time you leave you're going to be I'll be back nice. outside there and it'll be it'll be quite temperate like Jojo there's giving me the kind of side hand saying it's grand he's wearing a polo shirt so I should be fine looking forward to it you've got the white shirt on as well Adrian but like, I felt like we had to dress up a little bit like Damien Brown is in later yeah. on this morning and he, he did literally roll across the Atlantic so I think you know a little bit of effort for him might mightn't go along. Oh, sorry, I thought you were saying that Colm's jumper was like a old sea. Uh, if you were like singing you know, a sea shanty, I, I, it might be a maritime vibe to Colm. I haven't worn it uh, since last. It's a winter jumper. Yeah. Like, so it was in the back of the wardrobe there, and I read the email, and sure didn't I run upstairs and be like, I think I have a jumper. No, fitting, just the thing. Fitting up the description of this email. Yes. To wear something warm. So I'm delighted. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like your very formal <laughs> white shirt of a Friday. I'm delighted. Um, you know, you wrap up Colm Bowie uh, comment of all time. Well, you I'm know, delighted. I was just thinking there last. I've had my fun in preparation for this it was like you have the greatest PR um, you come in once a week you like rack up Friday so every time our regular viewers see you they're prepared for the weekend they're all in a good mood and that puts enormous pressure on you alright so they're not in a good mood because anything I do it's just because it's Friday no you're, you're the facial recognition and introduction to the weekend yeah it's now, a trigger so take it away Pavlov's dog Entertain. every time they see Adrian they think of the weekend we were watching different games last night uh, in a few different regards um, I was watching the Rovers game in the main and like again I felt like it was a couple of weeks ago for the away leg where like Rovers done really well totally perfectly uh, suits them uh, yeah. You know the the quality of opposition with Mulder last night that they were exactly on the same level as them. There was you know they outplayed them as the multi manager said at a certain point in the first half. Um, certainly not of their depth. And then again, like in aggregate, they've lost the two games five nil. And like, look, the opening goal from Mulder was an absolute outrage. Like it was so ridiculous. Yeah. It wasn't even close. The uh, Mulder player was. Um, Fafana was about three or four yards offside. Mm-hmm. And I, when I watched the replay, I thought, ah, well, the linesman must have just been just in the wrong position catching up a play no yeah. he was exactly on line and really should have spotted it and it was brutal and I did think at half time okay they'll sit down and regroup and somebody will point out Stephen Bradley will go or he'll have one of his lackeys head up to the referee's room and go here's a picture of the offside Listen, I mean I'm just saying and then you know the second half doesn't get redressed if it gets close but no uh, Byrne puts the ball in the back of the uh, Burke I think it was put the uh, ball in the back of the Maldonet yeah. and uh, the replay showed that his, as one of the an- analysts said afterwards his knee 
uh, was offside. It was definitely an opportunity to go, yeah, no, that's fine, because there's no VAR. I mean, it would have ruled out the goal in the first half if there had been. Overall, very disappointing, I think, for uh, for Rovers. Stephen Bradley was talking about it afterwards, about, you know, they have a couple of games left. He was openly saying, we'll target the home leg, which makes, you know, everything from resting the players last week yeah. uh, make a bit more sense. Just very disappointing because, like, for the reasons that we spoke about last week, that it was to capture the public imagination. Huge opportunity for Rovers. Big opportunities bringing a load of money to the League of Ireland. Uh, and maybe the most disappointing thing, as I said, that they were totally on the level of Mulder last night. There's no way there's five goals in the difference between those two teams. Yeah, a bit tighter last night. Like last week was a farce. The, the team that was picked now, maybe it was rationalised by the fact that they scored the last minute winner against Shelburne. So mm. would they would they yeah. won that game so late if they, if they played their best team and the lads weren't rested? Say that now. Yeah, it's hindsight's great, but I mean, yeah, at least they were more on level last night. And they're they're not getting any of this uh, lucrative prize money that we were speaking about before no. for a draw or for a win in the Europa League. Uh, a bit disappointing. Probably highlights how tight the title race is domestically mm. this year. I mean, if Derry City were were ten points adrift, Rovers would have really been going for it. Not that they weren't going for it last night, but I mean, probably highlights that they have to have an eye on the other prize as well yeah. and I understand why because they need to they need to focus on getting to Europe next year and that's a financial benefit as well so there's two sides to it but uh, pity they couldn't pick up something last night well, The Mall the Bass Erla, Erling Moe was <coughs> very complimentary of Stephen Bradley's side afterwards now maybe it's easy when you've won 2-0 and 5-0 in aggregate as you said over the two games but um, he said that Rovers were a better side in the first half and that's what like we were talking about ourselves Adrian this morning was the the first reaction to it was like once again Rovers played quite well uh, but once more, they're like no goals scored. They're the only mm. team in the Conference League this season without a goal to their name. But they're not out of place either with the performance. So maybe look, there's been a lot of abuse the last week about the, the side that Bradley played certainly last week, and maybe the approach to it. You know, you work so hard to actually qualify for the group stage, and then it's a bit of a damn squib when you're seeing all the games happening and then for people who are the casual fans of League of Ireland this is kind of just adding fuel to their fire of well like you know once they get there they can't compete anyway but that's actually not the case if you're watching the games they are competitive so maybe look to look at it more positively if they're to repeat the feat next season and just take the chances that they are creating we're talking about a different story and like we're very much leading with Shamrock Rovers first thing in the morning you know but at the moment it's yeah. we want to talk about them but it's hard to do it when they're not scoring goals and they're losing games and everyone seems a bit frustrated with the process Well they looked last night looking at them at times like uh, Burke Towle had taken like long pot shots that were just like their low percentage plays that you just typically wouldn't be doing and you wouldn't see them do it in the League of yeah. Ireland Brian Kerr was making the point last night <clears> that they were actually a bit leggy that they were stretched so much in the game that they wouldn't have been with the League of Ireland mm. not not to do with like being tired just that they were stretched in a way within the game that they wouldn't have been within the League of Ireland and it just meant that they were trying to pull off stuff that they typically wouldn't and that was just a low percentage play so look I thought, thought Tallis Stadium would play a role last night as well I know they have mm. a fairly good record at mm. Stadium uh, for obvious reasons but I mean yeah, you'd wonder. And Nathan last night in the news round outing himself as a full-on Shamrock oh, Rovers yeah. fan, yeah, which I, which I find interesting. You know, <laughs> generally speaking, I thought he might stick to the West Coast teams. Maybe it's like Rovers are going. He used well, to work in Galway. Family have relocated. He's basically a Galway person now, so right. you know that would seem like an obvious fit. Yeah, you'd imagine so. So a bit of a strange one. No, no obviously his, his kids have every reason to support Shamrock Rovers when they've mm. grown up in the area. Um, but yeah, Nathan has really found his feet. He'll be he'll be all anti bows now in the next couple of years, I think. Um, so he's going for it uh, Brandon Pang on YouTube good morning to you Brandon says lol fashion Friday um, mm, people are expecting abuse now for, for making an effort so what, what should we do just land in and rock in and no I mean I think in fairness to Brandon I think he sees uh, our point of view Shane 
What's our point? Okay. Well, we wear things that we don't. <laughs> James, uh, what? <laughs> we're supposed to say. Yeah, my image here. Yeah, well. Tell you what my point of view is. Oh, we wear. We're not afraid, like, to wear what we feel is right at the yeah. time, yeah. and that's why Brandon's tuning in here, Fashion Friday. Whereas you're coming in now with your white shirt, very formal. Formal Friday, and you're, you know, you're judging right, left, right, left. You're like a good midfielder spraying the passes, except instead of footballs, it's judgment. The yeah. the, the abuse he's just given me is that I'm like a good midfielder spraying passes. So, I'll, but it's judgment I'll, I'll, I'll instead. You, uh, yeah. In terms of heat, now you're you're getting. Pretty, it's a risky. Territory. It's always a risky one. If you spill that, co- if you spill your coffee, I you're mean, done. You're, like you're yeah, gone. Yeah. you're gone. Tama now, won't have that. You were know. watching the United match. <laughs> I was watching the United match. It was a, a very, very strange game in that yeah. United were completely dominant, yeah. <laughs> like uh, ultra dominant. Um, but lads, Francis Yuzohu, this Nigerian goalkeeper, twenty three years of age. Yeah, um, I mean, he's got, he's got eighteen Nigeria caps. He's bit of experience already. Um, I was reading up on him this morning as well and he had a, an absolute howler back in March where he uh, made a bad error against Ghana and essentially cost his country their place in the World Cup um, and all his Nigerian teammates kind of came to his aid and mm. said it's not your fault but his post-match interview even last night like he was he's a massive Manchester United fan right. uh, was completely but he, he was at, the first question he was asked you must be disappointed and he was like no no I'm, <laughs> I'm delighted <laughs> <laughs> what are you on about <laughs> it was always my everyone's dream. talking about me yeah, yeah. Uh, it was always my dream to play at Old Trafford and uh, I mean he had an incredible game and um, a number of cracking saves ah come on now. this has been totally overblown it gets mentioned in the commentary and then suddenly everybody else goes oh, oh this is the performance and you were you were yeah. texting last night about it and I was like oh I was going to watch the highlights anyway and I was the highlights were I mean maybe they just didn't show some stuff in the highlights but there was a lot of saves shown in the highlights so many saves they couldn't show them all Adrian but the thing that I would <laughs> no. say is they're, they're, I agree with the volume of saves there's no question about that there was a lot of them but was there was there any of the uh, shots that he saved that you would have gone like that if he didn't get to? Yeah, a lot of them. I thought, keeper. well, if he didn't get to that, you would have gone. Well, that <laughs> the was first a bit one, of a slip. the very fir- first one. I didn't feel that there was yeah, any of them that were that save. were that worldly. I would uh, say that right? was amazing. And, and and I would say that um, Brian Kerr was making the point last night that he didn't have many decisions to make, which I thought was much more succinct than any way that I could have described it. As in, the ball was hit at him twenty times, largely. Like there, w- there was certainly a number of the shots that he was being lauded for. That obviously the commentary, once you're in, you're in, oh, and the commentary was like laying it on with a trial. That like, no, I don't. He, he would have had to now. some of the uh, many, many of the shots. He would have had to actually dive out of the way. Paul Scholes said he was he was he was also playing down the performance. That look, the point is, goalkeepers get so much abuse when. Mm. When anything wrong happens, why can't we just let them have their day? He was he was the man was of the match grand. last night. He was, he was grand. He had a great performance. He w- that's not true though. It is true. He uh, he didn't. Wh- there's a lot of save, a lot of saves in the matches. Yeah, some of them were relatively straightforward, but others were like there was the Rashford Anthony double save as well. Uh, but that was uh, just a matter of getting up off the ground. It was like what, sorry. The, the ultimate point I'm making here is the shocking quality of United's shot taking that's the ultimate point here no, no, no. this is not like well done because he stood his ground and of course you do see keepers of time uh, like half jumping out of the way or, if Gavin Bazunu had had that uh, performance last night that exact performance what would I you would, be saying I, I would like to think that I would sit here in the, the cold light You'd of be day full on what a player oh, like Gavin Bazunu saves a Ronaldo class. penalty he like you know tips of the fingers when the ball's about to go into the top corner there was nothing like hold that on now a nothing. hold on now the Rashford save in the first minute the save from Casemiro it's fantastic because he had actually this is the one who hit the post yeah off the bar yeah, but they said in the commentary very, that he didn't, he no, didn't, he didn't get a touch on it. I don't very know. Look at the, the, I, you're lucky he's I, late, like, late I, standing. I'm not saying fair play to him or that he had a stinker. 
he had a, he had a lovely no, game Holland, but I lo- just think it's been over, he was a late standing and I think the reason that everyone so complimentary about it was there was actually a bit of a blurb just before the game kicked off about the fact that he was kind of playing out of nowhere and a United fan so it was kind of all set up for him all right, so and you would think and all that, but you would think no no and then he ended up performing brilliantly because for the first few saves like when he started very well so I actually think it was for me the kind of narrative was that it was a player overperforming basically and Saving, I would say at least two of those three were really, really good. Like, and yeah. the others, yeah, he was in the way, but like, you know, you kind of have to be in the way as well. You know, you can remember you the, can find ways of not being in the way. The David, David Hay had an nothing e- you're saying is convincing me otherwise. Remember, David Hay had an excellent performance against Arsenal a couple of years ago, and everyone was raving about it. And it wasn't a brilliant performance, but it was something similar. There was a couple of really good saves yeah, yeah, in there, yeah, and the rest yeah. were kind of. But that's different with the Hay. Like you're talking about a different level. So yeah. I mean, look, it's this guy's coming to the club he supported and played very well, and he, he just frustrated United. I'm not saying they're the best saves I've ever Grant. seen, but there was a collection of really really good saves Richard Redball says Skull said it last night every shot was in the middle of the goal and a save he should be making that's no. as succinct as I could put it that's player ratings what, what are you giving him out of 10 based on the highlights like whatever 6-7-7 seven, 7, seven. That's fair enough. Like he he didn't he didn't put a foot wrong. I totally I'm not I'm not uh, saying it a bad game. Like, you know, we tend to misrepresent what people say on this show. Uh Do we? Yeah. I'd on say Fridays, it was a 7. It was what what, what rating are you giving him? I I'd give him a solid solid 8 and a half. Well, now an 8 and a half is not like an all-time great performance. No, but it, so you're accepting it's at some a, level. It's a great performance. And that's ultimately an eight that you're feeling generous about. What Wait, about hold you? on now a second, right? Oh, give him a rating. No, 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 let, me think, let, me, hold, let me think about this, right? If every shot that United took went in, mm-hmm. right, United oh, hammered... Hold on, would you let me do it, right? United <laughs> hammered them then, okay? They hammered them. So he had to save every shot that was put to him. So therefore, he did his job at an exceedingly high level. So therefore, he gets an eight. Now, yeah. what I found most interesting about it was just how happy he was throughout the whole event he was buzzing he was delighted with life. Ah, yeah, but you're and even more so even, even more so afterwards he was smiling away yeah. he was high-fiving everyone he was taking the congratulations and it's like his team lost I know like, I, I feel like this is going to be the greatest performance of this guy's career or maybe um, it will seem to a, a Premier League to you soon you know I, we talk I, about him all the time yeah. we can get him on the show he, he, he may got, I, I'm saying on the basis of last night he could be anything he could be amazing and he could be terrible who knows? And don't come back to me now when he has a great game in a few weeks' time and say, oh, we oh, told you about that. Don't come back to me and prove like, me wrong, please. Uh, yeah, no, but that, that, that doesn't change now. the narrative of last night. Super Ken says, bad finishing and good goalkeeping. And he says, in the words of Roy Keane, that's his job. I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that. But, um, well, what's the great goalkeeping? Like, I remember David Marshall for Celtic against Barcelona had a great performance. There's been a couple of big ones in the Champions League. Schmeichel against Newcastle in yeah. 1996. Yeah, I famous mean, St. James's Park. And again, those saves, none of those saves are amazing. There was one from Les Ferdinand that was very good, but it was like, it's, it's not that it's world-class save after world-class save. It's the consistency, and then you're getting into the heads of the opposition's attackers. Yeah, and that like, was that's, it. That, for me, is the sign of a great you're, ball. You're no, Ronaldo, Ronaldo was smiling Riley at him in the second I, half I, last I, night. That's, being Ronaldo, like, that's Ronaldo giving himself a free pass. Even Rashford got through and put the ball just blazed it wide. I'm the, thinking he the keeper's in these players' heads now. And, and the corner was given yeah, and nobody I, was I, I, gar- I guarantee corner, you was I guarantee you, right, that those players after the game last night, none of them were going he had a worldly they were going they were they were reflecting more on their own performance. Now I will say John Hamill makes a very good point here. Uh, he says hit straight at him or good goalkeeping positioning. And do the emoji uh, face. Eyes in face. Yeah. So no, I accept that. Accept that. That, yeah. that is that is fair. But I am saying that none of those players last night they're giving themselves a free pass if they're saying he had a all time great performance. And neither, neither of you were saying that eight eight and a half. That's not. That's grand. It's a great performance though. That's a great performance. Yeah. 
I mean... Seven's good. Very good. Uh, you want to talk about referees? Yeah, I just read this piece by Max Rushton in The Guardian today. So it's off the back of Milan-Chelsea the other night uh, when Tamori got sent off for a second yellow card and it was kind of a subtle tug on the shirt. Um, players went mental, the Milan players, because you know they thought it was so subtle. And Rushton's point here is the overall abuse of referees. So like, if Tamori... Tamori could have conceivably gone in two-footed and won the ball and the ref might have missed it and it would have been play on. But because of this subtle tug of the shirt people go mad because there can never be a free kick. But Rushton's making the point here, and this is, I think, where it all stems from, is that the laws of football are there for everyone to see. They are freely available to read. You can get a PDF from the International Football Association Board website, so everybody can read the rules of football. His point is that players are either misunderstanding the rules of football and taking it out on the referee, or they're conveniently doing so. But either way, the men's game has this huge problem of, I find it very difficult to watch a lot of games when players are consistently laying into referees, when the decision's been made. You're, you can see it clearly that many of them are telling refs to F off and it's so clearly visible, right up to the referee's face. And the refs do nothing about it, very rarely. We saw a recent example, a total outlier was Aaron Armenia when the referee sent off two Armenia players for dissent, back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the next game, like, that was absolutely amazing. And I was in WhatsApp groups that like, that is fantastic, that's what hap- should happen more. Then the cynicism came in, it's because of the Armenia players, they probably got away with it, and the ref was able to do it. And then the next discussion we had was, well, that is an outlier and it won't happen again and it won't be repeated. And a couple of weeks later, it doesn't happen again. So these players get away with murder, in my opinion, with the referees. And look, the rugby examples used and people do tune out when they say, oh, the, the respect uh, for, for refs and rugby, it's fantastic to see. And people are like, oh yeah, that's rugby, it's a different sport. But even watching Scotland-Ireland the other night was so refreshing on Tuesday night because the vast majority of the decisions were simply accepted by both sets of players and it made for a much better viewing experience. The refs get hung out to dry and often is the case, as you were saying, Adrian, before and you made the point and it's very valid, is that the players, when they're complaining to the ref about a decision that's just been made, they're not actually talking about that decision. They have deep down accepted the fact that the decision has been made. What they're doing is trying to intimidate the referee not to repeat mm-hmm. another call against them. Alex Ferguson needs to do it all the time. Get, get stuck into the referee earlier, early, put him under pressure. And the problem is, is that the culture is never going to change if people don't talk about it. I find it absolutely infuriating to watch. And I find even talking football generally with people, the amount of times that it goes back, oh, the, ref, the ref is terrible, the ref screwed us. The ref's only applying the rules that the ref knows and may make a mistake but every so often. But it's, it's, the, it's just like the abuse is so much... It's so jarring to watch because they just accept it. Mm, yeah. And there's never a retort. And, they, they, and if you're not going to do that, players, if, but you're, not not if you're not going to discipline people in general, just on a human level, people will get away with as much as they're allowed to get away with in life. You have to clamp down on people. And like, I'm, watching, I'm looking at this image here in front of me and it's six Milan players showing the referee and there's no one there to help the ref like the ref's just backing off but they're being let down by officialdom is what the reality there like yeah. because if if they were to decide collectively this is no longer good enough they could do something about it tomorrow mm. like well, the Armenia game like there, there's no yeah. reason to delay any of that they could it doesn't need the people talk about this great culture shift it doesn't need any of that if they start flinging out yellow cards like confetti totally for, for that stuff like where where they get as you say like with the Armenia game you know, they get the yellow cards, they get the red cards. They're still walking off the pitch going, a few ref-. You can see the words coming out of their yeah. mouth yeah. every weekend. Yeah. And it's absolutely desperate. But I, personally, I just 
there's no will to fix that. There's no will. There's, ah, that's, that's the thing. There's no will. And look, Tennis Tank makes a good point in the comments this morning. In Do What Robbie Does, only the captain can talk. And I think that's, a, that's the first <laughs> step to it. The other step, I've heard before, and I initially thought, no, that's not a good idea, but I'm coming around to it, is miking the ref up. So that yeah. immediately would change the behaviour of players. But for me, something needs to change. Now, look, maybe I'm in the minority here. I would say a large enough minority, but the minority nonetheless is that it really bothers me. It might not bother the next person, but I find it difficult to watch certain games when the ref is getting in the neck left and right over every single decision and nobody stopping it. We had a game, I'm noticing the rules even getting a bit stricter at a Sunday league level. Like we had a game a couple of weeks ago where one of, I don't want to out him, but one of, our, one of my teammates, um, this is soccer, uh, told the referee to F off essentially didn't didn't agree with the decision his argument was that he was just saying F off generally speaking but the referee sent him off it was a straight right card right. I went over to the referee and asked what, what that was about and he said it's the, it's the new rule if you tell the referee to F off you're gone and I, I was like well, fair enough I, I used to have the, that same experience playing football in Cork is that it, it went completely the extreme one way or the other either the ref would clamp down on it immediately mm. or he wouldn't and that was it. And there were certain games where the ref is also acting as linesman. Yeah. And get the most abuse for calling offside when he can't possibly see the angle anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, you're getting, what, a 20 quid a game, 40 quid a game. And I'm saying to myself, why are people putting themselves through yeah. this? Like, what kind of psychological welfare this thing do of they the, have? Yeah, like, this thing of the referees being surrounded. And, and there was a piece in the Irish Independent I was reading this morning. Uh, Thomas Gleeson, Dublin GA, a Dublin GA referee, who was telling his story and talking about the physical abuse mm. he actually underwent and being followed to his car after an under 11s match and like it's just that's grim six, whatever it was he got six months yeah. um, the, one of the things that will get totally lost in the aftermath of that stuff the other night is the explanation from Vera Powell when she came out afterwards to talk about the general culture within the team and she was yeah. talking about like we have a stance that and you never would have heard this stuff only that it was in the context obviously of the other madness but uh, we don't give back chat to the referee and we behave in a way that is consistent with having good cultures there was more to the conversation of that but it was the line that stood up me particularly was we don't give back chat to the referee and I'm pretty sure that that uh, won't be applied 100% of the time I'm certain that there will be times where yeah. a decision yeah. arises and, yeah. and, and people will go oh but look so I'm certain that, that that's true but it's great and refreshing to hear that you know that, that, that a management have sat, they've sat down with the players and said what, what do we want to have as a culture because like all the examples that you're talking about the, uh, as much as we say that they've been let down by officialdom which of course they are obviously within their own group mm. they're, they're not sitting down as a group to say well you know when a contentious decision I mean you have the Ferguson example of yeah. when a con- con- what? contentious decision happens get in on the ref yeah. get in yeah. the ref the referee is just the messengers like so back to this Russian article there where he's talking about you can read the, the rules of football the handball rule is actually still ambiguous even in writing so that's going to cause contention immediately straight away. So nobody really seems to know the actual definitive rule other than the referees. But Max's point also is that the players also seem to be unaware of certain rules and take it out in the ref. But they are, they are just the messenger. Like, mm. Look, um, on Tuesday night, as I said, I go back to it. And any, any women's game watching recently, it's, just, it's so much better because they just accept it. And I can think of a handful of examples in the men's game that do the same. I remember Branislav Ivanovic, former Chelsea defender, used to be a great man for accepting a decision and walking away. It was very refreshing. N'Golo Kante is another. Doesn't say a word, just walks away. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I would love to see this replicated. Like, I don't think it's very brave or smart to get stuck into a ref. I would say, like, it's very cowardly behaviour. It's an easy target. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think less of a player who I... And I like, there used to be a number of Manchester United players who did it. And even when I was a young fella, I remember thinking, it doesn't feel right, like... 
You referees know? should nearly be mic'd up in, and this is an argument Gerard's making as well for GEA but even at Premier League level wouldn't it be so interesting on, on the TV coverage to be able to hear what, what the referee's saying to the, to the players it, it, it's accountability on both sides Yeah I think the yellow card one is a better option I have to say because I think that that is the one that makes players sort of like obviously there'll be it'll be more high profile and a bigger fallout from the mic stuff because particularly over the first few weeks of it you're going to hear everything mm. uh, A few good points coming in on the text just here before we leave it um, Danny Mack saying these players are multi-millionaire entitled uh, is the culture I don't know I mean Shane's just given an example where I presume that's not exactly the case yeah. um, Zan Z says rugby also is a siding commission, uh, commissioner you don't take the pressure off the refs by placing the burden of discipline solely on them post-match bans for abuse uh, answer is staring us in the face two refs like AFL says Dahi uh, Super Ken it all starts at kids games it's so uh, accepted to abuse referees if there's no referees there's no game I actually don't believe that it starts with kids games I think if you started it at the highest level yeah, to dish out the yellow yeah. cards yeah. you'll have suddenly have I see it at under sixes on a Saturday yeah. afternoon where they're copying what's happening in the Premier League in terms of celebrations and stuff they'll be looking at that going the one hand up for a corner kick I'm telling you they, that's uh, you know the celebration memes that were going around the other week where there was like kids running out sort of giving her all the yeah, 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 yeah. goals so <laughs> Uh, look, there is more comments coming into that and do keep them coming in over the course of uh, the morning and uh, we're with you until 10 this morning and good morning to you if you just joined us. It is uh, 5 to 8. If you're on your commute, do drop us a text this morning or get in contact with whatever platform it is you're looking at us on uh, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up on the show this morning. We've Rosie Foley uh, who is fresh-ish from uh, another amazing swim in the US this time to complete the Triple Crown uh, former uh, Ireland international will get uh, Rosie's view on all that very shortly Phil Thompson uh, is going to preview obviously the big game of the weekend City Liverpool and uh, just exactly what's happening with that Liverpool team get his thoughts on all that Alan Quinlan will look ahead to the weekend rugby will also get his thoughts on uh, all the chat about Johnny Sexton and whether he's whinging or he's right to be uh, as vocal and verbal given the conversation we've just been having with the referee and also news this morning that Eddie Jones has lost his or is about to lose his uh, one of his backroom staff as defence coach to the NRL um, so we'll get his thoughts on that and a few more bits and pieces as well and uh, we're very excited because Damien Brown uh, another man fresh from an unbelievable challenge he rode across the Atlantic uh, in the end solo is going to be joining us live in studio from 9 o'clock this morning and uh, he will be minus the beard so that'll be coming your way and uh, at 9 and then another former Ireland uh, second row stack full of them this morning uh, Paul O'Connell at half past 9 uh, who's in conversation with Ashling uh, just yesterday so that is all of that Rosie Foley good morning to you good morning how are you? flying it how are you keeping? <clears throat> Oh, there's no fear of me. Um, I live in a madhouse, but other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, congratulations. That is amazing. So uh, to give people an idea, if they have missed this over the last week, you previously had swam the channel at 33.5 kilometres, uh, the Manhattan Island swim, 45.9 kilometres, and now the Catalina Channel swim of 32.3 kilometres. It's the triple crown of open water swims, and you're just the second Irish woman to do it. Congrats. It's an amazing achievement. Oh, listen, I, I, yeah, it, it's my own triple crown as you know Anthony with rugby had uh, a triple crown with the Irish men's rugby team I missed out on the women's uh, doing so well uh, uh, Fiona Coughlin and the girls Uh, so I set about I suppose getting my own triple crown so uh, when I first started I didn't really know much about triple crowns as in open water ones and once I kind of got a whiff of that there was a possibility of having a triple crown of my own I suppose it's like everything else. Uh, you mentioned Damien. They, 
there, uh, Damien Brown. So Damien Brown uh, started his epic journey on the day that uh, I swam around uh, New York. Uh, so there's a, a few parallels there with, with second rows in Irish rugby for sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so this is something that, that I have, but like like everything, uh, it's a very much a team effort in our house. Like my poor, long-suffering husband, Pat Minogue, and my three kids that have to put up with it. Now, Oisin was 17 yesterday, so Oisin is 17, Brendy is uh, 15, and Shifra is uh, 12, nearly 13. So they've had to put up with a lot, and then I have fantastic uh, backroom friends, if you like, who support me all the way. So like the likes of Fanula Walsh and Andrea Newport, mm. um, like I couldn't do it without them. And God help me, my poor parents are just blue in the face from what is she at now? And like, I'm turning 50, please God, in, in two weeks time. And uh, I'd say they're just, you know, is she ever going to stop and leave us in, in peace, really? You know? Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you might not, but we might come to that conversation in, in a little bit. In terms of the number of people, like there's only 279 people worldwide that have actually uh, done this before. That puts the achievement in context for people. What? How long does it take you to swim that distance? I listen, it was over 16 hours in, in, in that case, but it's the most beautiful swim. Uh, the water is 22, 23 degrees. You start at night, uh, so they, you, you take a two-hour journey on your uh, support boat out as far as Catalina Island from the California mainland. Uh, and the stars were out the same night, so I've been really lucky with, with weather-wise in that. Um, and you go out to Catalina Island, you get into the water, you have to clear the water uh uh, to, to, to get to clear sand before you start but it's a night swim um, and I remember before I got off the, the boat to jump into the water uh, I saw a sea lion heading towards the, the kind of the, the, the shore and I thought this this is a good look omen um, got into the water and I just thought my god it, it was like being in the bath here in Killaloo you know I just thought Jesus this is great <laughs> so I was really lucky that way um, Lots of uh, pods of dolphins, lots of sea lions. And I had another fantastic, as you know, the world of sport, you have great friends. And I had the most fantastic uh, kayaker who's a really good friend of mine, Grace van der Bly, um, who actually holds the record for, for that crossing. Right. And a really, really, really good friend of uh, mine who's based in the States, who's, who's American, is Jenny Smith. And she was only fresh from doing uh, the marble uh, the Marble Arch to the Arc de Triomphe, which is uh, a, a run of 87 miles. She swam the English Channel in her bikini for the second time and then cycled to Paris uh, during what's called the Enduro Man there right. about six weeks ago. So she was also my support team with my great friend Fanula Walsh on board as well, because this was a very last minute uh, cancellation that I got and I just thought the stars have aligned we better go do this now before you're 50 get your triple crown done uh, and celebrate in style really I suppose is kind of where it goes but yeah very uh, lucky to, to get it done this year Fanula I think is one of the ones that was the other one has gone before you if I'm right what, what, you're correct <laughs> what's, the, what's the so th- that's your support crew essentially as you're going around what's the interaction yeah. with those Rosie are you is there any point to chat are you allowed to have a bit of a drink are you allowed to have food because it's, it's a long period of time yeah, so um, all these swims are under English Channel rules because the English Channel is, is the creme de la creme when it comes to open water swimming. So it's it's the, the usual, which is for, for us is just uh, your, your normal hat, uh, pair of goggles and swimming togs. Um, you cannot be touched or helped in any way. You can be thrown, your your water bottle is, is given or thrown down to you. You can't be in contact with any, anyone. Um 
So anything you want, then if you wanted to have, uh, we'll say, a bite of banana or that uh, uh, slice is put into a cup, you take it out of the cup while you're treading water. So uh, you're not supported in any way. But in, in the case of Catalina, you have a, a, a big support boat, which was called Bottom Scratcher, which really, <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. I love all of it. Uh, <laughs> so you have Bottom Scratcher with the, the Munster and Irish flags hanging off it, which which always give me huge inspiration for any of my swims. You know, the one that I use for Munster is to the brave and the faithful. Nothing is impossible. So I suppose that's kind of a mantra for me when, when I'm swimming. And the other... Uh, the other person that I had that was with me for the whole time was Grace van der Bly, and she would have my drinks on, on her kayak. So instead of having to go near to the boat for it to be thrown down, she'd actually uh, pass it over to me, throw it over to me mm. um, at, at, at a better level. So, And yes, I could interact. You, you can hear what people are saying. You can hear, um, you know, I, I just don't like... Um, when, when, when I'm doing a swim, I do it for myself. My family know what I'm doing. And afterwards, then we support Orla's Wild Ways, which is the, the, mm. the three charities, uh, two of which Anthony supported uh, when he was with us. Um, so uh, so very few people knew what I was doing. Uh, so it would be messages from, from home and, you know, Mm. Oshin says or Pat says or Brendy would be, be, be on the phone or she would be staying house, mammy doing that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so you get that type of stuff, but not a lot of it, you know. Uh, feeding plan kind of goes from roughly every half an hour or thereabouts. So you just look forward to it. Uh, and I suppose that's where rugby and uh, really sets you up really well. You go from a set play to set play. So in swimming it in my head, I'm kind of doing something similar. I'm going from one feed to the next feed, enjoying what's around, you know, the stars are out, the warm, warm water. I could hear pods of dolphins around me. Um, I was very aware of that. And like, I suppose the word I would think of is it's a privilege really to, to be able to, to you know, enjoy and right, aim for all these lovely goals that you can go for and be, I'm so lucky to be supported uh, in my home life and, you know, with the people around me to, to allow me to do that. So I do feel very lucky and very privileged, yeah. It's it's funny, Rosie, as uh, as Adrian mentions, only 279 people have done it. Like, it strikes me that over 600 people have been to space. So there's twice as many astronauts as there are people that have, that have done this, which puts it in the context a bit. But, uh, like, which, you know, psychologically, in terms of start, middle and end of a 16-hour swim, what's, what's the most difficult part? Because, obviously, at the start, your body is, is freshest, but you have the furthest distance to go. So, um, how do you how do you manage that? And maybe which which segment is the most difficult? Um, it's, it's like ever you know. Again, it, it's the whole sport, you know, and, and sport getting you ready for all parts of your life. Um, obviously, you're really really nervous in, in the, the the few days, the, the couple of days, twenty four hours really beforehand. You know that you know you know the, the start is you have to be at the dock at half six tomorrow evening in. In, uh, in San Pedro in, in California and you know that that's coming so it, it, it's just like you're getting ready for a, any other kind of game it's you know you get your carves on your you know I mean I, I wear a uh, uh, a, a red, funnily enough, <laughs> a red, <laughs> a red swimming togs uh, with the monster and Irish emblem on it and my name on it with foliage on the back of it. To, just uh, you know to remember, uh, remember Anthony um, because I mean he, he used to have great crack when we were swimming. But like I would think of things like that. I would think of uh, matches and and I suppose part of it. And I suppose the the, the nerve wracking bit. I suppose is you know as you're about to start 
that I'm not getting out till I finish because that's, I suppose, my mindset in, in has always been. Um, but I suppose there are times, usually about halfway-ish, if, and I never ask the time. I, I don't ever want to know how far we've gone or how, how much we have left. Um, because when you're in water, the land can seem closer to you than it actually is. That was something that, you know, um, a very wise person said to me before I ever went about open water swimming and swimming the channel and that don't look to the to the landmass because it is that so i suppose it's it's kind of going from segment to segment in my own mind and i think of people and i think of lists and i think of um all sorts of things when it gets tough you know i mean i'm not getting out on you know i would get out if if obviously uh, you were told by the boat captain that it was unsafe or that you were actually a risk to yourself but other than that it, it's really trying to galvanize your head and I mean anyone that I spoke to and at times I dip in and out of, of actually Damien when he was when he was rowing across and I could I could see and I could I suppose empathize with a lot of what he was doing obviously it's 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 a very long time he was rowing as well but um in your own mind, you know, you, you have th- those what they, they call kind of dark moments of the soul in one sense. But um, b- because I suppose we, we were always taught that you, you, you live in the present. And my parents, um, I have to thank for that, because when we were growing up, they never, ever uh, let you assume that you were, it was drummed into. You never assumed you were going to play in the next day. And that really meant for us that you you did your best for whatever you were doing at that that. that uh, at that time and you never assumed but you never gave anybody an in to your jersey either mm. so you always try to do your best so I suppose it goes back for years and years and years that that is really galvanised into, into your into your, into your head and it, it does certainly come from my parents yeah You mentioned the charities that you've been involved as well with Orla's Charities with the Midwestern uh, Cancer Foundation yeah. with uh, Cry and Carry, which give uh, screening and bereavement counselling for families at risk of SADS and we'll um, send out the details of those from our um, social media accounts as well so people can get, uh, jump on at idonate.ie I think to get involved in it and you've mentioned Anthony a couple of times and it's a six year mm-hmm. anniversary I think on Sunday, Sunday yeah. Rosie yeah. and it like it struck me actually even over the last week listening to you on various bits and pieces it's brilliant every time you hear his name been reintroduced into the national conversation it's a great chance for everybody to remember what what a man he was um at home i, I presume you, you you still talk about him at home and at the home place or or is it hard or how do you manage that oh no he's very much around us all the time we'll say so uh, his son tony and dan they're actually the uh, the same ages as uh my my two older boys so oshin and and brendy i mean yeah life is funny like that they're inside in saint functions and Anthony loves St. Munchens. Anthony repeated he's leaving certain St. Munchens to go on that famous tour to New Zealand with Declan Kidney and the boys. And actually that group of uh, Anthony's uh, schoolboy friends from that schoolboy tour are very much in our lives now. So uh, rugby and that support is is very much still around us. Um, Anthony is very much with us. my my son Oshin was lucky enough to get called up to the under-18 uh, rugby uh, as schools um, squad um, last week. So the last person in our family that did that was Anthony. So mm. he's very much he's he's very much there. Um, they, obviously, they play with St. Munchens. They also play here with with Smith O'Brien's. They play they're, they're hurling here with Smith O'Brien still. Uh, and again, it's it's our community. It's, it's sporting community. So I mean, Anthony is very much 
you know, around us. And like I, I, I would say stuff to him all the time in my mm. head. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's still that healthy, uh, you know, I suppose rivalry, not rivalry, but like he's never far from our, from us, you know, particularly, you know, obviously this time of year, but I mean, like he, he's with us every day. The lads head off to school. They, they're on the pitches that Anthony played in. You know, they're meeting Anthony's friends and then people who played with Anthony, their kids are now playing uh, against uh, our guys like the Sheehans in, in, in Cork. You know, I mean, mm. they're, they've played against each other. They're all great friends. They, they all connect really well. Um, you, you go up, up to Clemboy, up in, in Belfast and that, and um, Garrett Davis and, and their boys were all playing in different squads for Ulster over over uh, the summer. Uh, we all met up down in Musgrave Park because all the games were on. So that you know, he's very much with us. He's very much around us, which is which is which is lovely to see. Yeah, it's mm. and it's lovely to have. You know, we, we've um, Rosie had a couple of these conversations on the show recently, but you know, people who have been recently bereaved, and we had the teammates of Dylan Quirk, the young Tipperary hurler, on the show yesterday, yeah. and uh, the father of Ogie Duffy on the show quite recently as well. Um, but but I think that's that's such an important thing you've touched on there, and and, and it's. I guess it's talking about the person as well and not being afraid to talk about the person because, uh, look, as Jerry mentioned yesterday, Irish people are great at funerals and wakes, but it's what comes afterwards and the years that follow afterwards that maybe need more attention. Well, definitely. And I'm not saying that any of it is, is easy. And as you've mentioned, lots of people will tell you there's really good days and there's bad days. And, you know, as it comes up to his anniversary and that, so yesterday, Oshin, as I said to you, um, was, was 17 the last time we actually saw Anthony before he 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 passed away in Paris was with Oshin with us here in, in our in our family home, and he was taking them off to hurling training. Uh, so after we had the cake, and he always tried to make the, the the cake no matter where he was. It was something that we had as as a family. You know, the the birthday you always tried to make the birthday, regardless of whose birthday it was. By the way, you know. Mm. Um, and he took them off to hurling training above in Smith O'Brien's, and then brought them back. Uh, brought them back th- that evening, brought them back home and actually he headed then to Declan Kidney's wife Anna had passed in Cork, himself and dad had he- headed down to that and that was actually the last time that I saw Anthony alive. Was, so so yesterday it would have been, you know certainly he'd have been very much in my mind, you know, been the last time that I would have seen him. Yeah, how will you mark it on Sunday, Rosie? It's been so, there's been such an uh, unbelievable amount of public showing of affection for him um, over the years with the, with the many high-profile things that have happened and even the Jack Carty presentation was it last year on the five-year anniversary. What, um, how will you mark it as a family on Sunday? Well, um, my husband's, uh, uh, Pat, his mother actually is, de- is dead 20 years coming uh, the end of October. Um, so there's a, there's a mass for Eileen Minogue in, in Scarif and at 11 on here in Killaloo regardless of the day of the week it is we we go to mass we we just we go to mass and we we think of Anthony and, and are very thankful that you know that we, we we had such good memories and good times with him and yes uh, there's no doubt like we really really miss him from from our lives for you know family occasions and that it's also my my grand my grandmother Jane's um anniversary on on sunday so i suppose in in my head i suppose i kind of think you know he's with, he's he's with granny jane you know who mm-hmm. i was very close to when i was growing up so i suppose we try and comfort ourselves in that but it's like everything life will go on i mean i think dan uh, anthony's younger son has a rugby match with, with shannon and that you know so it, it's very much you know i suppose 
we think of him and, and, and we go on and, 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 and the reason we do that is that, that sport meant so much to him and to, uh, it does to us so you know I suppose it's, it's just the way we, we, we go on but uh, you know yeah, it's yeah. it's a tough old time. Of course really. it is. Of course yeah. it is. And yeah. uh, things a lot of things come in full circle as you mentioned there as well, particularly yeah. in the rugby space. And we'll be keeping an eye Absolutely. out on that. Uh, you can be certain over the next couple of years as well. Uh, all Ireland winner with Clare, thirty nine caps for Ireland, two rugby world cups, the triple crown of swimming. Uh, you mentioned about the landmark birthday upcoming. Is that it? Are you done? Is that you going to give your parents <laughs> a bit of peace now, or what's what's the story? I've promised all my kids. Oh, well, I don't know if I'm done. There's, there's definitely a, I have a few friends down in down in Baltimore. There's a lovely there's lovely facet is down there. There's a lovely swim down there that I've been dying to to do for years. So Steve Redmond and Noel Brown, you know, I've had them I've had them uh, beat, I suppose, for the last few years. But I, local, I think, you know, and around there's plenty of lovely places to swim here. I swim an awful lot with Trilly Bay swimmers down in in, in beautiful Phoenix. Uh, we have a place down there in in Banna that we spend an awful lot of time down in. So I have great friends down there. Uh, and you know, it's some of the the, the the roughest times. You know, I've I've found real solace in in open water swimming and and, and the, the community around that as well. And and you're you're kind of free. Your mind, uh, as as I've looked into it a bit, a good bit, it's like you have a your mind is it's like a blue mind. It's like I suppose you're free from everything in one sense. Um, you can really relax. It's kind of people will talk about wellness and you know stillness and that. And that's where I find find mine and. For me personally, it's all about swimming and, you know, open water and just being around nature in that way. I absolutely adore it. Um, so I'm really lucky to have uh, great friends out in Two Mile Gate with, with the swimming women out in Two Mile Gate. And when I go down to uh, to Phoenix, down to Trilly Bay Swimming Club, I mean, great buddies down there as well. And, you know, some of them, you know, we know each other's first names and we, we, we chip away and it, it, it's, it's, it's fantastic mm. from that. You know, they just know me as a swimmer or yeah. they, they used to know me as a, as a swimmer and they still do. Lots of them, that's all they know me as Rosie yeah. who comes yeah. down from Killaloo and swims. Yeah, And like, it. look, a lo- lovely messages coming in. Michael Collins says, Catalina beats swimming down the two mile gate that you've just mentioned. Well done, Rosie. Incredible achievement. <laughs> yeah. Up the banner. And uh, Peter English says, beats the long nights in the works. Uh, well done, Rosie. <laughs> all the best. So lots, lots of lovely messages coming in. It's been great spending a bit of time in your company to hear about the detail of it to reflect a little bit on Anthony's life as well and as I said it's all uh, for Orla's charities that she's put together the Midwestern Cancer Foundation Cry and Carry and we put out the details of those on our social media account Um, Fair play Rosie thanks a million Thanks so much boys thanks a million Cheers Rosie Foley there Um, Incredible achievement really in so many ways Uh, I know you're a master of the open water Shane but that's uh, Yeah our 250 metre swim during the triathlon was uh, You could walk if you uh, went up the left (laughs) Kind of puts it into context a little bit doesn't it (laughs) what she's after doing Uh, but yeah that's that's proper endurance, which he's which he's uh, achieved. Now that's uh, that's incredible, uh, unbelievable. Quarter past eight, Friday morning. You're watching OTBM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effort that's finished here today. We're back after this very short break. The legendary former Liverpool defender Phil Thompson ahead of the big Manchester City game at Anfield this Sunday. OTB. Sixteen minutes past eight on this morning's OTBM on this Friday morning. The small matter of Liverpool against Manchester City this coming Sunday, as Adrian mentioned before the break. We'll have live commentary of the game as well, right here on uh, on Off the Ball. You get it in the OTB Sports app as well. Delighted to be joined this morning by uh, the former Liverpool defender, three-time European Cup winner Phil Thompson. Morning, Tomo. Good morning, guys. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. You've got the uh, the small matter of City, as I said, this Sunday. Um, a certain Norwegian striker that's a reasonable <laughs> enough goal scorer. How do you how do you go about stopping him? Is there a way to stop him, Tomo, for Liverpool this weekend? Well, I can't play this weekend, so that that's <laughs> taken out of the equation. Um, 
No, he's been he's been phenomenal, hasn't he? You, you, you just look at the guys, and you know anybody who likes a little sort of that, which I'm not encouraging. <laughs> um, he must be there with everybody's so because he's just so predictable, and that's what that's what he's brought to the game. He's been absolutely astonishing, and, and not playing the other night was nothing about. I don't think him being tired or anything like that. I just think Pep seen it as an ideal opportunity to give him a rest um, and keep him very, very sharp for the weekend. But he certainly brought something wonderful to the Premier League, frightening the pants off every defender, that is, but he's terrific. Like, if you're a Liverpool defender heading into the game this weekend, is there an element of uh, fear, almost, uh, coming up against him, or do you kind of revel in those opportunities to play the best in the world? I think this one will be revel in it. I think the players will really be looking forward to it. Van Dijk and uh, Big Ibu Kanate. You know, they're two big, strong lads. So you look at the side of them, and I, I'm in awe of them. When I'm doing pitch side for the, the TV at Anfield, and you see these two boys, and they warm up together. My goodness, you know, they're so big and powerful. Um, it's it's absolutely terrific. So I think they'll be looking forward to it. I think it gives it a little bit of a different context, this game, because with Liverpool and Man City would normally ride high at the top of the league. But this time City are up there with Arsenal and, and we're languishing in 10th. So it throws up a little bit different. And there is not sort of, I don't think Liverpool fear anybody, but it's, it is just, it's going to add something different to this game at Anfield. You mentioned about uh, Van Dijk, obviously. There's a good chance to talk a little about him because like, he hasn't been the player of the season that he has been in previous seasons. And uh, like, look at the yeah, result during the week maybe gives everybody a bit of a lift. But I did notice when the Arfield goal went in that uh, Van Dijk particularly was flinging his arms in the air, pulling his jersey, looking at his teammates. Sort of body language that we're not used to looking at from Liverpool players. Yeah, but I think that it's not only Big Virgil, it's, it's, it's everybody. You look, and just before I come on, I was thinking, oh, who can I say who's been a positive this season? And there's not been too many. Thiago, um, but he, he's had an injury, but Thiago's been really good. Bobby Firmino's been good. Mm. Mm. There's not too many more where you can say have hit anywhere near the best. So Virgil's in sort of, dare I say, um, bad company there, where there's a, a lot around them who are not playing for the best. Having said that, Alisson's been exceptional in goal. He's had to be because we look so vulnerable at the moment. Particularly, you look at that second half against Arsenal was absolutely awful. Um, but you do the results against Rangers, particularly the second half, was a lot, lot better. Is the, is the Van Dijk stuff a function of the greater product not working as well as it is, or is there something off of them from what you're seeing? No, I just think it's. I just think it's. It's a lack. A we lack of confidence all round. You know, there's been trends. We see Matip having a struggle. Uh, Virgil's having a struggle. Um, Robbo's been injured at left back, so that normal function has not really been there. So come the weekend, the Gibus come in. Joe Gomez will probably play at right back. So circumstances are probably helping the side, bringing a lot of strength back in the side. Um, Joe a little bit more defensive, but I'm not. Virgil certainly has not been the player that he has been. And I just think it's confidence, really, in, in what you do, which has been normal. When you start thinking about it, you think it too in-depth. I don't think you do things naturally. 
you mentioned Roberto Firmino there, Tomo, and um, it was nine goals, I think, the season before last. It was 11 goals last season. He's already on eight so yeah. far this year. So he's, he's, he's having an excellent season, uh, undoubtedly. Um, he's always kind of been, even when it was Salah and uh, Mane beside him, he was always kind of the unsung component of that front three. Contract up at the end of the season. Is it a, is it a no-brainer now that he gets that contract, given his form? Yeah, I, I would like to think so. Listen, everybody asks, who's your favourite player in this side? People think that because I'm a defender, Van Dijk is up. Bobby Firmino's always been my favourite player for what he brings to the side, the intelligence, the high press, when to do it, when not to do it. This fella is, I think he's so important to the side. And I think it gives uh, Jürgen Klopp a bit of a conundrum for the weekend. How do you fit Bobby Firmino in? And I think he's got to play Darwin Nunes, who scored in the last couple of games, up front. But then Bobby can't play on the left, can't play on the right. So does he go with 4-2-3-1, which he has done in the last few games? Then you can see Bobby as a, as a, as a number 10. And he deserves to be in with his, the way he's played. But will Jürgen go to sort of 4-3-3 and match up a little bit with Manchester City? Yeah, and that, that formation point is an interesting one because uh, he wasn't afraid to change a couple of weeks ago, Jurgen Klopp, and when things weren't going well, decided that he needed to adapt and overcome and uh, change formation a little bit. Um, and quite noticeable during the week as well, Tom, against Rangers, like Harvey Elliott had a brilliant game uh, and scored his first Champions League goal. He kind of struggling in that four-three-three, but but when he was, uh, you know, I guess deployed a little bit wider in the four-four-two, uh, it seemed to suit him perfectly. Yeah, did he, he? He was absolutely fantastic. He, he was great. Him and Fabio Cavallio, the two great lads who get in between the lines and they turn quickly and they go forward quickly, which we don't have too many like them, but they're relatively young and inexperienced. And Harvey had been our best player in about the first five games, something like that. And then we played Harvey and Fabio Cavallio in the derby. And you went, wow. And we, the both of them struggled. And then after that, Harvey played against Napoli away, which is a similar uh, type of atmosphere and struggled. I think it might be a bit much for him. But if you're good enough, you can perform in any situation, and particularly with it being at Anfield. But you're right, Harvey played in a different formation rather than 4-3-3 and excelled, and so did uh, Cavallo. Uh, so he has got a sort of decision to make in what he goes with. Because as you say, he's not, we've had a tried and trusted 4-3-3 for the last, I don't know how many years. But he's seen, as he said, since he's looked at something and it looked a bit broken and he had to look for a new system and this seems to be the system. It'll take a little bit before it actually starts working. So it'll be a big, big, uh, brave call, I think, again, to go with 4-2-3-1 against the City side. Uh, and when you're talking the formations there, it's almost... Like Harvey Elliott's defensive capabilities weren't too good in, in, in different games and I'm not trying to make excuses for Trent Alexander-Arnold but you, you certainly need people tracking back and helping you out a little bit and yeah, the f- Guys, guys, guys you're saying Harvey you know Mo the, the start up Mo has been Mo has not helped a lot with Trent and he's far more experienced than Harvey so you've, you've got to admit it's it's been a team thing rather than an individual thing. Mm. It's you know these lads have not given each other enough support. But Harvey has been fantastic. Mo when he came on um, certainly didn't celebrate as much as I would like him to for his hat trick. But you, I, you know you have to understand that he needed a rest. It was showing that, and I think he'll be better for it against Man City. 
What's in that, uh, Tom, on the celebrations? We were kind of talking about it before the show this morning, and uh, I guess each goal he increasingly celebrated a little bit more. Um, but, but still, it was it was strange to see someone so muted scoring a Champions League goal, especially the opener. Yeah, it was, and it, I think it, it's like any any striker. And I've sort of played with them. I've managed them when they don't play. Certainly, when I was assistant manager and. Um, manager at the time with Liverpool with Gerard Houllier we had Michael Owen I'm taking Michael Owen off oh my goodness you brought him off you think you chopped his arm off or something he was but you were doing it for the good of the team now Mo not playing it was for the good of the team because he needed a rest and the Man City game so important coming up and you know with respect to Rangers we we sort of 2-0 could have been far more uh, at Anfield we knew it was going to be a little bit easier so he had to rest quite a few players, and Mo was one of them. And I think more players should understand what constitutes as making a decision for the team rather than the individual. Is Michael Owen knocking at your door afterwards saying, what's, um, what's yeah. going on? No, I'll tell you what, I pulled him in and I, on, the, on the Monday morning, and it was a Blackburn. <laughs> Excuse me, guys. And, and we had a game in midweek. We were 3-1 up, and it was about 15 minutes ago. He'd had his injuries. And so I brought him off, and there's a big screen there, and he started nodding his head, and everybody's looking at it like that. Mm. And I thought it was a disrespect to the lad who was coming on as sub. It was a disrespect to the decision. And I explained that, but he said, Phil, you know what I'm like? I want to play every minute. I feel like I can score every time. And I said, yes, Michael. I said, but I'm looking at the wider picture. And I said, I, I knew with your injuries, I said, I had to protect you for the midweek game. Mm. He still didn't accept it, like so. yeah. And did he? Did he? Did did it, did that conversation in itself almost impact your thinking again down the track? Or no, not at all. I'd have done the same thing the following week if we had another mid midweek game. Yeah. Michael was so important, and you've got to you do these things for the sake. Team boys always comes first rather than than the individual. Yeah, and managers have to fight their corner as well and um, Absolutely. Jurgen Klopp certainly did that in the press conference <laughs> during the week as well Klopp versus Didi Hamann wasn't exactly the, the argument I was expecting but uh, here we are uh, he, was, he was asked in the, in the press conference for people who hadn't heard um, I guess someone quoted Didi Hamann saying that yeah. Liverpool need a spark uh, after the defeat against Arsenal last <clears> weekend and, and Klopp's response oh great he is a fantastic source well respected everywhere uh, yeah. Just a touch of sarcasm to, to Klopp's response. Yeah. What did you make of the whole of the whole thing? Yeah, it was, and, and I think it's just been the way we've been playing, and the questions that you do get asked when things are not going right. And it was a bit touchy the, the reply from him, but it was wonderful, wasn't it? The win against Rangers certainly helped yeah, give us a spark. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know. It's, um, <laughs> no, it's, it, it has been one of those things. I think it has been a difficult time. Jürgen's not had it for quite a while. So I, I did think it was, probably look back at it and go, mm, probably it was a little bit harsh on DD there. Yeah, because I, I suppose uh, Klopp's other comment was that, you know, being a former player doesn't give you the right to, to say what you want. Uh, no. And he said, especially when you have no idea. Being so. a former assistant manager, though, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a different well, course. That's a, that, uh, hopefully that's a different thing. Um, <laughs> and, and it is. Listen, DD was a fantastic player, played in many, many a huge game, Champions League finals. So, and he's, he's a sort of, he, he does a lot of media work over there now in Germany. So maybe that's been, maybe he said a, a couple of other things because he'll, he'll probably watch a lot of German television. Stevie's on a lot um, in his home nation. So maybe he's rattled Jürgen a little bit.
at this stage, Tom, of the season, um, Liverpool kind of lying mid-table, performance is not the best. Where do you think their seating is this season? Where can they finish? Yeah, I, I do think we're finishing in the in the top four. We are having one of those blips as we did the other year when we lost when we lost six on the run at home. People tend to forget that, and we certainly come out of that um, well enough. And I think this team will do that at this early stage. That extra game that we need to catch up on the other teams is a huge thing at the moment, and that's hanging over us. I think you take another three points at this early stage things look a lot brighter. Everything closes up a little bit more. I think when everything gets settled and, and it's like that, you'll see Liverpool up there. I've, I've no worries about Liverpool being in the top four. Will there be a title race involved? Hopefully, but it, it, it doesn't look that way at the moment. Finally, Tom, score prediction for Sunday? I'm going to both, both, um, both results last year was, was Desmond. Um, I'm going again for this this game I'm going for 2-2 alright well listen then uh, enjoy the game Tomo thanks as always cheers lads my pleasure have a good weekend cheers to you Phil Thompson there former Liverpool player three time European Cup winner He's, uh, are you yeah. having that a Desmond yeah uh, do you know what it, no it, chance <laughs> there's not it could be a good game though it could be a decent game at Anfield especially City could end up winning that 4 or 5 nil. yeah the way they're playing um, it kind of takes the sheen off every game City are playing yeah. in at the minute doesn't it I mean the, the Rangers game couldn't come at a better time for Liverpool in hindsight and they go in with a bit yeah. of confidence but that confidence has gone exit stage left if after 3 minutes Haaland's after banging one in the top corner I know going to kind of ruin the whole thing you'd imagine um, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day right time for the sports pages there are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean, a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Right, oh, half eight, oh, to be AM, and uh, good morning to you, wherever it is you are at. We're delighted to have you with us. Loads of comments coming in this morning, so I uh, do keep them coming in, and we'll keep uh, keep reading them out for you. Um, right, the newspaper is Irish Daily Mail. Now, it's written in the paper, right? There's a story here in the paper, and there's a whole story here about UEFA launch investigation, so don't shoot the messenger, right? It comes up for conversation, that's what happens, and it's, uh, you haven't seen the last of it yet, I'm sure. UEFA's probe, football chiefs investigate Irish player chanting, writes Mark Gallagher here. Controversy over Irish players singing up the ra in the dressing room on Tuesday night rumbles on as UEFA yesterday announced that they're investigating potential inappropriate behaviour following the playoff victory over Scotland. I have nothing particularly new to add to the conversation. Everything's been kind of said before. The only thing that I do find kind of interesting, I have to say, is the fact that it has allowed us as a nation to open up a conversation about whether it's... I, I've observed the conversation of the last few days and mm. it's been about the song the conversation not really about the song it's about the use of those words yeah. nobody cares about the song it's inoffensive it's middle of the road whatever you're having yourself it's about Celtic blah 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 it's not about the song <laughs> it's about the words that specific piece of the words and I for one welcome a conversation about whether that's appropriate now or not I mean you can have an opinion about that one way or the other but it's been good I think, as a conversation to, uh, in 2022 to sense-check ourselves. I think, yeah, 100%. And, and it's one thing that I think the Dolph Tone said themselves, that they say, you know, those those words they're kind of referring, and, and as you'll hear, the, the other lyrics in the song, graffiti on the wall, up the ass, so they're talking about graffiti saying these words. I know. doesn't excuse it. No, but that's purely... that. Look, I... Whatever the Wolf Tones are going, are going to excuse that stuff. Well, of course, but that, that's going, going, uh, that, That's like the journalist asking the question, going, 
Diddy Haman said these thing about the, it's like yeah, 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 somebody yeah. else it's, I'm not having that but it's you know, it's a fair point the starting the conversation thing because like even in our kitchen at home it started a conversation yeah. I'd imagine across the country people are starting to have conversations around it more power to it um, I don't think the players expected this sort of backlash no. you could see the look in their eyes when they were being interviewed um, the day after the match and they're like what, 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 like this is supposed to be a great day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you kind of feel sorry for, for the girls. And but Vera Powell has handled it very diligently, and uh, well, so I mean, hopefully, we can just forget about this farcical well, discussion. Well, well, the thing is, so I think we should continue the conversation, leave, leave where it came from behind us because they've been all over the coals. That's all done and dusted. We don't need to talk about the players anymore, we can just talk about the conversation and whether it's appropriate. Because you made the point, and it was a bit of a um scales from your eyes moment for me when I heard it the other day where you were like this gets played in clubs and in pubs yeah. and it's sung in dressing rooms and I wasn't aware of that and so um, I do think that as a country it's alright to have a conversation about that aspect of it are those words appropriate what's the context of them absolutely people don't get uh, like you know um, the age profile probably of a lot of that group yeah. would not have any understanding about uh, what was going on in the 70s and 80s and 90s so uh, so that's all fair enough but I do think like the people who are saying we're not allowed to talk about it, brigade. I mean, I just that's that's a worrying road to go down yeah. for me. It was just funny how the conversation went. You know, within a couple of hours, from everyone, a lot of people against the team to all of a sudden the line of questioning to oh. the players completely transformed the, the the opinions of a lot of people. Back to the players, I saw it um, developing. A couple of hours after the game, it, there was a huge amount of retweets on the clip that somebody yeah. had taken from the social media account that went out, and I thought, oh, here we go. This yeah, is, yeah, uh, something's going to happen is, here. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Rory Keane writes in the mail as well, Wasps crisis could free up prop for Munster. Their financial difficulties, we'll talk to Quinny about shortly, um, could mean that the Springbok tight head Vincent Koch would uh, go to Munster. Now, the circumstances of it are awful. Like the fallout, furthering, uh, further fallout from the awful situation around English rugby could well send wasps into the deep doo-doo but um, Munster are and this is what's going to happen of course Munster are in bad need of strengthening up their front row particularly so um, that would be uh, not great the way it's come about but a positive outcome for them the Irish Independent Euro Dream fades for Rovers reflections on the game of Tala last night UEFA to investigate dressing room chance and referee abuse has severe consequences says uh, Dublin referee Thomas Gleeson that Shane mentioned a little bit earlier on uh, Nick of Time says the Irish Daily Star this morning McTominay sinks Cypriot Minnows in dying moments the, the thing about that goal I had realised this that is the first Manchester United injury time winner in Europe since let me have a think about this one now was it Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in 1999 it was I was also watching Virgin Media last night and uh, yes picked it up admiring Tommy Martin's research I enjoyed the comment Just uh, Martin O'Sullivan just wondering can Shane ever say anything negative about Man U always ultra defensive when somebody wow. comments about a player performance he thinks everything they do is good Martin I don't I've gone through enough pain and torture as, as a United fan over the last couple of years uh, I've said enough negative things about Harry Maguire and uh, other managerial decisions as well um, my point was to defend the goalkeeper last night and he was an automatic United player. So uh, I, I'm not well, afraid. He's a Manchester United fan, so he sort of comes within the wheelhouse anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, not at all, Martin. Zanzi said, How can a song be inoffensive, but the words in the song be offensive? That's a disconnect. I mean, if you feel that to be a disconnect, that's up to you. All the rest of the song, grand. That one little bit. 
totally odd. Yeah. That's my view. There's um, a, a tweet in as well we've got um, passed in. Carla Lockhart, MP, she's a DUP Member of Parliament for Upper Ban. Um, she's tweeted, on the 21st of November 1974, 21 people were murdered by two IRA bombs in Birmingham. Four players of Birmingham City women also represent the Republic of Ireland, whose ladies' team were involved in vile sectarian singing at the end of their match with Scotland. Will Birmingham City FC investigate? This is the point we've got to now, where people are literally calling for it's it's gone so far that it's re- remarkably too far mm. like asking for for clubs to investigate their their irish players um, oh, the source of that uh tweet and the party particularly i don't think we need well, to pay too much attention but there is an awkwardness for a lot of the players who were involved in that video last night are in big high profile english clubs having to go back and go yeah. what was all that about and you have to explain it and i'm sure life will move on yeah uh, the Irish Daily Star uh, Nick of Time as I mentioned after that 1-0 win last night Larry's a free thinker Larry McCarthy says the GA could look at awarding a 21 yard free or a penalty against coaches who verbally abuse, abuse referees says Carlo Kane. <laughs> that will be it really taps into the conversation we are having earlier on yeah. it feels like I mean it feels like a, a big departure that I could never see happening in a million years yeah and the GA especially is certainly cut it out 100% is it such a scourge ah uh, is it the biggest scourge? I, I look. There's a number of scourges that referees have to deal with. Uh, like uh, the thing about the last few weeks is we've had these conversations because of everything that's happened in GA clubs across the country that there seems to be a high level of abuse, or maybe it's just that people are taking note or referees are deciding enough is enough. But these types of conversations are exactly what we need. So uh, yeah, fair play to the the media, I guess, for covering it as well in the papers. Uh, the fair play to the media. Uh, the things you don't hear often enough. Uh, the Times, London edition. Uh, the big story here is that Eddie Jones been dealt a World Cup blows. It's been worded by Alex Lowe here. England set to lose another key figure with the defence coach heading to Australia. This is the news that uh, Manly are uh, swooping. I think is the vernacular for uh, Anthony Seabold, the England uh, defence coach, and it's obviously just less than a year out from the World Cup. So. Um, what happens with that? I always feel sad for Freddie Jones when something goes wrong for him. It's tough. It's tough for him. You know, he's a likable guy. As um, much as you've only positive things to say about Man United, Chen, you've only ever negative things. About Eddie Jones. I mean, you're not alone in that regard. But uh, Rovers hopes of progress end as goal drought continues. Paul Butner at Tallis Stadium last night. Lee Fallon with an interesting uh, think piece here. Uh, we have the chance to build on a real legacy with this team, and of course, she does touch on that and some really uh, lovely stuff in there, including some of the reflections on uh, George Hamilton's commentary. Now it's a Sullivan, and there's the run of Barrett, and Barrett giving herself a chance here. Amber Barrett, and uh, she points out the uh, synergy with the fact that it was uh, George. Hamilton calling she says in brackets the nation held its breath we already knew what to do a Donegal man had us in a similar moment in 1990 that was a nice uh, nice line there yeah yeah nice and circular Um. so that's the papers and that's where we leave it on those for the minute we've plenty still to come and 20 minutes time we're going to be joined in studio by the man who rode mostly single handedly from uh, Manhattan to Galway and he's going to be joining us in studio at 9 o'clock so if you have any questions for Damien Brown uh, we're really excited to have him in and we're looking forward to that but as I said earlier on it really is all about the uh, former Ireland second rows in the show uh, this morning our pack let's say former Ireland pack players in the show uh, this morning with Paul O'Connell as well coming up a little bit later on but uh, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day up next Alan Quinlan is with us live and uh, first of all Joe yesterday talking to Brian O'Driscoll about Johnny Sexton's brilliance you do kind of keep a closer eye on Sexton given his age after any kind of layoff and you, you don't want a player that age to go off a cliff I mean I think he's still climbing potentially. <laughs> I, uh, honestly, uh, he, the mind boggles at times. He really is. He's just 
it just sees it so so well and people give out to me for waxing lyric about him again but I, I don't care he's just he's just one of the best at picking picking that pass at the line leaving it late taking the shot and throwing the pass and we saw it multiple times even when when they didn't score Jimmy O'Brien when he, he butchered the two on one like that was really magnificent to suck in both Werner Koch and the outside defender, you know, having reached that run that short line because he held it so long. So many other tens, particularly of his age, play, um, you know, play a little bit deeper, play a little bit self-preservation, not him. He's right on the line and he's, he's now finding a happy medium. He doesn't encourage the hits, but at least he throws the pass. He doesn't accelerate into them. He throws the pass and then goes with the collision. So it's taken more, some of the impact away, but. He he does feel as though he's getting better, and and I, I have to say I'd say I'd say that about Dan Bigger as well. I think Dan Bigger has gotten a, become a better player in his thirties as well. Where again, he's not about self preservation. He's not. He's happy to take it on the line, throw those long passes right on the line, be brave, um, and and again, they're, they're they kind of seem very similar in personality, but also I think in their growth in the last few years. Mm. Do all the great ten see it as well as Sexton? sees it is that a common thing or they have different strengths no no i think i think he's at the very high end i think farrell sees it well i think i I think sexton this isn't just bias i do think he sees it as well as anyone i've I've come across um he mightn't be the same athlete as some of the other tens you know might not have the same wheels um but his ability to actually see and read play i think is nearly unparalleled in what I've come across. Yeah. I've seen, obviously, I've never played with Dan Carter. I've, I've watched him and, he, you know, he's a special player and he was able to do some magical things, but he also had phenomenal platforms. Um, so, you know, I, I think obviously from from a decision-making point of view, I think he's very high-end as well, but I don't think there's too many others that have the ability to take it as aggressively and pick one of three options like he has. I really don't. Mm. Um, and that isn't just a, a, a bias, you know, a friend or a, an ex-colleague bias. I genuinely don't see it. And, I, and I've wanted to see it in other people, you know, coming through in Ireland and, and the problems that they're not even close. Full chat with Brian and Joe up on our YouTube channel. Quinny, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? You can look at this two ways. Uh, Brian O'Driscoll, uh, Johnny Sexton is like 37 and near the end of his career. And aren't we all in the doo-doo very shortly? Or... As Brian Driscoll says, he's playing just as well as he's ever done. His vision is unbelievable. Um, and we have him for another World Cup. And fingers crossed he stays fit. And we could end up having the best out half at the World Cup. Yeah, look, it's a it's a pretty strong endorsement. And uh, you'd have to agree with a lot of it. I think he's um, he's obviously incredibly driven. And he's got a, a resurgence in his career, I think, um, a lot of the Irish players in, in general I think were struggling in 2019 with the World Cup and it, the whole thing just felt felt a little bit flat and um, when you put that much pressure on yourself and you've got that much kind of drive and determination and that's your temperament where you're a little bit um, you show that frustration sometimes um, I kind of worried for him around that period that, and I think most people did because he was kind of into his um, 30s and uh, he was 33 or 4 at that stage um, that you know maybe there's a real need now to change here but there's been, we've had we've had a number of years Adrian haven't we where we've you know all the provincial coaches and all the Irish coaches and they've 
tried to close that gap. I think mm. there was a period of Conor Murray and, and Johnny Sexton for a number of years that we all spoke about the gap, the gap, the gap between mm. the two of them. You know, they were on two lines tours together. It was 13 and 17. Um, Murray was there t- um, in South Africa as well. Mm. Warren Gatlin has admitted that he made a mistake in not bringing Johnny Sexton to mm. South Africa. So they've been at the top of their game and, and he has been at the top of his game for a very, very long time. So that dip, which was um, not an individual dip, but it was a team dip and it was worrying and concerning. Um, but, you know, when you have... And Johnny will be the first to admit this, you know, he's playing behind um, incredibly intelligent, mm. good, helps. good rugby players who are on the same page. And I think that's always been a maybe a frustration for him particularly when he went to France that other people don't get on the same page his vision in the game is what impresses me he's always scanning always looking so um, yeah it's brilliant at the moment and I think he's uh, I was at the Sharks game last week in the RDS and you know you think it's early season stuff and Mm, just do the basics ship on the ball kick well but he's driving the team and he's driving himself to look for opportunities all the time so um, you know, I don't know how he personally feels. Has he got a resurgence given, you know, like I was there in New Zealand up close and I interviewed him before the first before the first test. And, you know, there's a natural feeling here that you think this is a pretty daunting task. Um, there's a lot of good Irish teams have been there before. Um, how will this work out, you know, away from home? Um and I just felt, you know, he's he's such a strong character, um, and that kind of rubs off on players around him. Mm. And I just felt that they, he believed, um, he believed that they would they had a great chance in New Zealand, and if they play to their potential, it wasn't a case of hitting hope stuff. Um, if they execute and do what they do well, uh, but they become a strong cohesive unit, Ireland, particularly after that rebuild since world, the World Cup in nineteen, where there was a lot of fragility there and there was a lot of vulnerability and opposition teams sense that it doesn't guarantee that they're going to go right to the World Cup and do brilliant it's sport is kind of cruel sometimes like that Shane Just on that uh, on Sexton the Sexton temperament and there's been myself and Adrian before you came in we're talking a little bit about referee abuse and talking to referees and that sort of thing uh, so, some, somewhat uh, discussion has been made around the way Johnny Sexton spoke to, to Craig Evans last weekend against the Sharks um, what, what's your take on that because you're probably right in, in what he did in that he's the captain yeah. he can speak to, speak to referees but um, it was, I guess it was the tone of it that people had an issue with but what was your See, take on um, I think you'll and he's had a few issues over the years. He knows himself and he's not stupid. I think even after the game, he'll probably know that he's kind of pushing it a little bit here. Um, I would have had those frustrations when I was playing. If I was captain of the team, maybe <laughs> it's probably why I wasn't captain of, of teams, of uh, particularly in Munster. I captained him once in Declan Kidney. Twice, actually, Declan Kidney said to me in Belfast one time, I don't think there was anyone else to do the job. And he kind of looked around and said, well, look, what do you think? And I said, well, <laughs> we both kind of said this is risky business here because uh, you're actually giving me a license to go at the referee and <laughs> communicate with him. Um, so it's a tough job. And like he's so driven and he has that temperament to challenge everything, coaches, players around him. And then you're a captain of a team and you've, you're, you've kind of that license. Um 
But he does, the point being, he has a license. A lot of the stuff I saw last week, look at my view, but it was like the, the people given out about the whinging. Like, he's, what is he expected to do? It's like he's I got an avenue to go to talk to the referee to raise concerns. Like, yeah. why would he not do that? He'd be in dereliction of his duty. If he's well, not you know what? I, if I if I was on the team and I was had the frustration, which I did had have, have sometimes over certain decisions, I would love to have a captain like that who would go up and yeah. put the pressure on. Queries. Yeah. I said Johnny Holland I doing some analysis just, of the decisions. John, he just needs to be careful because tone was the tone. The was tone it? a little bit, and um, I think if you go up into the international stuff, and sometimes you'll get the referees, you know. And I know this goes on with referees. They obviously talk to each other. They watch the games and they say, well, I'm not having Johnny Sexton in my year all day now. So before the match, he'd be, they'd come in and say, look, I'm telling you now, Johnny, there's a way of doing this because it's gone out and everyone's watching this game and don't make my job any harder and all that kind of stuff. So you'll get some of that. And he's had a few issues with that over the years with some referees. Um, Peter Romani's had it. He's very confrontational as well. Mm. Um it's getting the balance of that right that it's in a you, way well, you're, you think he's over the top no I don't think he's over the top I think he just has to be careful with the tone I think putting the pressure on and, and, and asking the questions I think that I've no issues with that he's quite entitled to do that he just has to be a little bit different where it's not over see I I, I, I want as I said if I'm a player there, I want my captain putting that pressure on but if you turn the referee a little bit and he says, well, Johnny Sexton's asked me six questions now, like, you know, like, Johnny, mm-hmm. you don't have to ask me the six. I can't change my mind. Say yeah, it's but it's made a different the time. Part, if they, I, I look at I, I, uh, maybe I'm overstating it, but I definitely feel as if you're entitled to have a line. If the referee isn't able to have an adult conversation to say, you know, absolutely. like, here's my thought but process that, around this. Absolutely. That's the tone. And I've always said it when I had issues where I would have complained about penalties or I'm moving the hands and stuff at that particular moment it actually there's a lot going on in the referee's head he's just made a decision he's been looking at a breakdown there's probably numerous offences he can pick he could pick one it's just it's like having an argument with someone when the, when it's heated you just want to make sure that you keep it at a level that's it can it doesn't frustrate someone yeah there's been a couple of times over the years in some of the international games where we've heard Wayne Barnes like continuously saying Johnny stop 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 or whatever so you just got to be careful I think all the questions were legitimate last week there was one where Luke McGrath made the break and um, Johnny Sexton put him away he got a heavy tackle Mm -hmm. there was a breakdown Werner Koch the winger um, the Sharks winger gets back and he poaches the ball and Johnny then is making the point that one of the Sharks players didn't roll away to prevent him from cleaning him out you know, sometimes there's ones there that, you know, you can make the point rather than saying it should have been different. Just say, look, I couldn't clean the player up. So, look, like I say, I, 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 I'm I, not critical of this. I just think he needs to be careful I thought you'd love himself. that. I thought it'd be one no, because, be, be I, be come over. here, that's exactly what I... And I remember one great incident when I started playing for, for months when Mick Galway was captain. And we I think we played Ulster and Interpro down Limerick. And... There was a number of things going on in the game early on and there was a fair bit of niggle and and I I was kind of like, I think Gala was trying to hold me back a little bit and keep me in some way control and I remember he went up to the referee and said, you need to sort this out now or we'll sort it out. Right. And I remember thinking, 
even though it was a very strong statement, it was a message to the referee that this is getting out of hand now, and I'm yeah. giving you a break to this point. <laughs> and that wouldn't know, wash now. That would be no, uh, he'd no, be put to say that nowadays. Yeah. Nowadays, but look, I love his I love his drive. Yeah, um, if he's got Rogers, an Ireland shirt on, Quinny, I I do think like yeah, I saw some of the interaction. Some of it was coming from South Africa. That's stuff that you were talking about. Mm. Whinging from South Africa from a rugby writer who since locked his account, so nobody can give him any guff. But that's fine. But I do think that like if he's got an Ireland shirt on him, the whole country's going go Johnny. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the one, the one for the, uh, Van Rensburg where he had the two tackles and the sending yeah. off. Um, absolutely, you got to be strong and dominant there, where there was two actions of foul play from the player, and it's fine the player being very remorseful afterwards. But like you're thinking, he's just hit a, the first one was a red card alone, and then he was over in the wing, and he's like another tackle. Yeah, so. You know, he has to be really strong there as a captain to say that this, yeah, this is not good enough. I'm not accepting this as a captain. You know, now, in fairness, Craig Evans, he sent the, ref- the player off. And I think he's a very good referee. He's a very good referee. Um, and he should have said something to, to Johnny if, he, if, if there's an issue with it. And I don't know if there is a major issue with it. Um, he just needs to, I think the tone and the interact, there's look, find the loads of interaction. And there is times where you need to put that pressure on where it is kind of, People can hear it as well, and it does put pressure on the referee. He drops out of the team for the out of the squad for the Connacht game tonight, uh, seven thirty-five Sports Ground. Um, the the, the Lancer team doesn't look any the weaker without him, I have to say. But I did want to ask about one of the other players that drops out, Jason Jenkins. Have, did, I know he was injury prone last season. Have Munster made an unbelievable error getting rid of him? Or letting him go, however it's coming. Yeah. Um, why, why did they let him go? I think it's down to you know it's down to budgets, but it's also down to you know trying to get Thomas Ahern through there and get more game time. RG Snyman is back, so if you look at if they get everyone fit and available, if RG Snyman is playing for Munster to start of the season, maybe nobody's asking. Everyone's probably saying. But he's look, he, The thing is now he looks so he good looks for so Leinster. Good. He's fit Listen, and he's Adrian. We all knew that was going to happen, yeah, didn't we? Yeah. You know what I mean. Even the player himself has spoken about his frustration that he didn't get a chance to to kind of um, play enough with Munster. I think Munster have been incredibly unlucky with some of the signings over the years and going right back to when you think Christian Cullen came mm. you know certain players getting long term injuries and it's the worst possible scenario when you're a team that needs that overseas player to really kind of make a difference when you're bringing through younger players you're you're trying to change personnel and improve as a team if Jason Jenkins is out for Leinster for a couple of I weeks, I know we're having a different conversation. You know, but even if he's injured for Leinster now for till after Christmas, they're not going to be usually yeah. Uh, yeah. suffer from that. But look, it's um, there's you know Thomas Aaron was brilliant in the emerging tour, so that is the hope that that Snyman comes back. Um, Thomas Ahern is there. It's Finian Witchley, Tyg Byrne, John Klein. You suddenly have five or six second rows, but mm. you don't have. You know, Jason yeah. Jenkins is quite unique and he'd be very strong for Leinster this year. What about that? So Furlog in, Doris, Ryan, Cohn and Van der Flyer all into the pack. Uh, Ross Burns at 10. Uh, Connors have made a bunch of changes as well, but that Leinster pack, it's hard to get beyond, even though it's in Galway, thinking that Leinster are going to win this tonight in the strength Yeah, of but Connacht, I think um, it's really important and I think um, that game last week was vital for Connacht as well. Obviously, we spoke a lot about how it was vital for Munster for for the sa- some of the same reasons. But I think for Connacht, um, you know, they've got Scarlets at home next week. They've 
it's it's going to be difficult tonight, even though there's changes and it's not as strong yeah. as Leinster could go. They played him four times last year, didn't they? The closest they went was in the round 16 game at home. They're well capable of it. Um, I think they'll have a great crowd there again tonight. They'll have that energy, that fire. But they can't forget where they were for the first three, three games, Connacht, in the discipline, um, the mistakes, the turnovers, all that kind of stuff, the errors they made. So I think for them, it's about them focusing on themselves tonight. Um, sometimes you can get caught up with looking at a Leinster side and thinking this is... oh there's a couple of players out here and there's a couple of players not playing I think that's the real intrigue for me tonight how Andy Friend's team respond they've gone to with six forwards on the bench again I think their pack was really good last week Gavin Thornbury who you think is the size and the physical specimen that you want to step up with an Irish side mm. has a you know had a bad injury last year he's been a bit stop start has he the ability to really kind of stake a claim now and, and, and get real leadership in his game and physicality well it's a great test tonight you know when you think that you know that that pack that Leinster pack I think the backs there's obviously a lot of change but you know the back row of Conan Van der Fleer Doris James Ryan Ross Maloney has been playing brilliant for him um, Tyg Furlong coming back Dan Sheen is just like a a Duracell bunny that yeah, never stops yeah, going. So it's a challenge. I thought Dave Heffern was brilliant last week. Someone you'd love to, I'd love to see him step up. I think mm-hmm. he has that ability to start having a presence with himself. Um, Finley Bealham played really well. And I think, you know, obviously Peter Dooley and Josh Murphy, you know, they're playing against their old team tonight. Will, it be, will that bring a bit of spark in them? Um, and I think Jack Carty, last week, you know, there was some criticism, particularly with the kicks. Um, first game back it's difficult uncharacteristic misses for him so for Connacht tonight they've got to build a little bit of pressure um, try and manage the game in a tempo of the game sometimes it's very difficult to stop Leinster and they've started like a you know a steam train this year with their results and their performances but last week I think the Sharks exposed a few you know, if you hold on to the ball for long periods against teams who are usually very dominant against you, well, you can create some opportunities. And Connacht are an ambitious side, but I think they need, you know, to read. They need to be careful now because psychologically, getting up for that game last week, the challenge is: can they get that same emotional pitch this week? Because the reality here is, this Leinster group can put twenty, thirty points on anyone if they mm. click, mm. and they'll have guys in that team who were really determined to be in Leo Cullen's side going forward. So, it's an intriguing one. Can I just ask you a last one for me, Quinny? On uh, a lot's been made this week of the, the Irish women's team, and congratulations to them getting the World Cup. But there's been a bit of uh, fallout from the from the dressing room videos. And look, Kenny Cunningham was on the show during the week in the evening, um, and he was kind of referencing when they qualified for the World Cup in '02 that you know there was no cameras in the dressing room and. It kind of has brought up this idea of, of uh, I guess, that this discussion around dressing room culture. And I'm, look, I'm not going to ask you what type of songs you lads would have sang in dressing rooms over the years, but it certainly brought up a, an interesting discu- discussion on uh, what should and, and shouldn't be revealed about the inner workings of a dressing room, I guess. At, at a, at a there should be no cameras in dressing rooms. Um, that's your private space. And we, I, I always felt that, you know, and I know the... the the TV providers and, and I work for a few and I do commentary and if I'm up in the commentary box in New Zealand for Sky and I'm looking down and and uh, I can see into the dressing room you know the coaches at half time I like that or if I'm with Virgin Media and doing it um, for Six Nations you, you see but 
I always had a problem with that camera sitting in the corner and that's from a TV point of view so I would throw a towel over it or something Vera, like that Vera, Vera Powell did say it wasn't about I thought it was a credible line she said it wasn't about whether it was shot or videoed or not it was the fact that it happened yeah yeah that's fine but come here did you think the Munster team never sang Sean well, South from very own back in the day do you know what I mean yeah. like, sometimes you don't even think it a significance or, or what that how that can offend somebody else mm. this thing was played out it was the Celtic song it was it's you know of course it has to be addressed but it's it was a minor kind of judgement really here and I think um now, if they were full, pay, full, if it was the men's senior team, and you know they're fully paid professionals and they're all on decent money and playing, you know, they'd get more flack for it. So there, there needs to be a bit of a break here. But you know, there's always a danger in the dressing room. It's the same now for players going out and about. You know, there's camera phones everywhere. People record it. If two players actually have an argument in a pub who are on the same team, which is no big deal sometimes, or a debate. Mm-hmm there'll be someone there with a camera and yeah. suddenly that'll be mm. big breakup of, of such and such a team so um, yeah the inner workings of the dressing room needs to say there but the, like part of me goes who the hell put this up online it went up by one of the players was do, did an Instagram live of the celebrations yeah you see it's bad management there you know I, I go going back to Vera Poe it shouldn't have happened well my thing it shouldn't have been going yeah. out there do you know what I mean yeah I, 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 I you're, you're, it's risky it risky business and regardless whether it was like, shot or many, not how many times will that song it's sang every week in Parkhead I know that's uh, 60,000 people in my view but there we go yeah. the song I couldn't give two hoots about the lyrics <laughs> those specific lyrics right. was, there, yeah, was yeah. there the same for made when Declan Rice um, was quoted saying up the rah well, the, nobody knew about him, and it was underage thing. And like people have references a bit over the last know, few weeks. You're saying there's a hypocrisy recently. No, but I think yeah, of course. I, I'm not saying it's right, but it'd frustrate me if we were singing a song and uh, in a dressing room, and it's it's going, someone is streaming it live. You know what I mean? I think that stuff should. Well, I, have been. I, I think uh, I think everybody's learned a lesson on that front. Yeah, at least yeah, probably won't happen keep again. Your phones away there in the dressing room for sure. Thanks, million. Cheers. Enjoy the games over the weekend. Alan Quinlan in studio, as always, there on a Friday morning. It's three minutes past nine. You're watching OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio over the course of today. A happy quiz. In fact, I think it is going to be the crappy quiz from here on out. Um, So that's coming your way at half past ten. Can I say something before you go? You can, yeah. What Damien Brown did was phenomenal. Incredible, isn't it? Phenomenal! Did I know he's coming on. Played next. against each other a fair bit. Yeah, we played against each other a few times. I owe him a few digs actually. Yeah, well, you can see him on the way out there. And he was uh, always trying to clip me, but um, the training he's been doing over the last few months, I, I wouldn't think, be trying to give him any digs. Um, I wouldn't want to be in the production box right now when, when the swap over happens here. By the way, it, it's a phenomenal achievement, I think, and uh, he's a great fellow. What he's done. Um, and it kind of sends out a great. It's not for everyone to be at sea for that long. Uh, that sort of. Um, but it sends out a great message about you were interested pain, pain in one a, you were interested in one aspect in particular, Quinny, weren't you? Um, well, I know he has to go to the loo somewhere, you know. But what kind of I want to, I want you to ask him about oh, that, what he questions. does and how he does it and all that kind of stuff. We scrap everything else we plan to talk about. That's yeah, yeah, half yeah. an hour of, of Jack's chat. Uh, no, it is incredible, and uh, he'll be in the studio in just a couple of moments' time. Half past eleven, the football kickoff is going to be live. It'll be Jerry Phil and David Connolly today. Ronnie Delaney, I know to be gold from one Galway, the subject of Mount Rushmore from three, and Brian. 
Brian Dean is the Team 33 uh, legend from 4 o'clock today. Catherine Switzer's interview from a couple of years ago at uh, 6 today. So that's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio. You can follow OTB across all of our social channels. Subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best and uh, latest in sports content. And we're going to be back after these. It's Damien Brown and uh, we can't wait. Stay tuned. OTB AM. Coming up on 10 past 9, you're watching OTB AM and we are absolutely delighted and very excited to say that Damien Brown has joined us in studio. Good morning to you, Damien. Good morning, Adrian. I'm How are you keeping? I'm great. Uh, the beard is gone, is the main thing. Beard it's the first gone. time people will have, a lot of people will have been uh, aware that yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a man behind the beard. Been cleaned up a little bit, uh, beard gone, haircut. And uh, feeling great, feeling fresh, you know, apart from a few kind of physical things that'll be around for a while, overuse stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, do you get attached to the beard or are you like, I'd like it off now and I feel a restorative aspect of actually it being off or how do you feel about it? No, I wanted it off immediately. Yeah, but... Um, uh, we have a documentary in progress and they wanted to do interviews and some shots and that sort of so I had a kind of I said lads you got 10 days uh, and then yeah. it's coming off so yeah. so I was very uh, very happy to see it go it's uh, I mean I was finding bits of food in it there some days which was <laughs> grand on the ocean like yeah. but yeah. happy days yeah exactly <laughs> little, a little uh, afternoon snack but um, no it was, it was, I was happy to see it on the floor of the bathroom um, there's loads to get to. We've got a half an hour to chat, and it's never going to do the full uh, thing justice. The podcast is out there, and I uh, highly recommend that people listen back to it. And I've been following it all the way through. As it says, it's New York to Galway, it's uh, 5,000 kilometres, and it's unsupported. And that's the nutshell, I suppose, of the, um, of the row. Um, what have the last 10 days been like for you since you've been back and readjusting almost? The first 36 hours, I. I just didn't know right from wrong, up from down. It was a bit of a whirlwind, you know. Um, I think it would have been that way anyway, but the way things ended on the Monday night, Tuesday morning kind of accentuated that fact, you know. Um, But then it's kind of, since then, it's just been a kind of slow wean back into, I suppose, everyday life and uh, routine. And I felt pretty good, surprisingly, because I was um, a little bit concerned about that... um, getting back into society mm. becomes so insular mm. um, and your thoughts become quite selfish you know everything is about yourself like on the boat you know and um, constantly kind of monitoring yourself so I, I could see that you know I was aware of that and I was like geez when you get back you know <laughs> you're, you're a dad mm. you're a you know you're a partner in a relationship you know you can't be just thinking about yourself so I was worried about that but um, it hasn't been as kind of bad as it hasn't been as um, affecting me as I expected it would you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the how has the that reacclimatization been versus the other expeditions that you've done? Has it been harder to get back into it? I mean, I know you say you've been nicely surprised by the lack of selfishness almost mm. in some regards, but has how different has it been from the others? It, it, the only the big difference, I suppose, was that first thirty six hours. Like normally, I like it, when I lasted in Ocean Row, so sixty three days, and I ended up in Antigua. Um, I just felt like. I slotted back in straight away to my, you know, to my family were there and that, you know, so just to um, been, uh, I suppose, um, a functioning human in society. Whereas this time I just didn't, I just couldn't connect with things like I couldn't connect with emotions. Like, you know, people are asking me how you feel in that first 36 hours. I was like, I don't know how I'm feeling. I'm just here like I'm here, you know, so that was that was unusual. I never had that before. Uh, And obviously the attention. Uh, in that period as well was intense you know so 
you're trying to give everyone a little bit of your time because I'm very grateful and appreciative of anyone who, you know, I suppose was touched by the story and, and came to let me know that. But uh, <laughs> it can be a bit overwhelming as well, right? You're getting, you know, like my partner, Rizelle, was getting kind of elbowed out of the way, like and, <laughs> and the dogs in Galway. People wanted to get at you. So, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, not a normal everyday um, thing. And uh, just trying to de- just trying to kind of... Um, and kind of, I suppose, navigate that was was a little bit unusual. Mm. The, the symbolism, nearly of of the the Manhattan skyline, Damien, the kind of disappearing behind you, mm. and like the, obviously Gussie was on the boat as well. Uh, 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 Fergus was on the boat at that point as well. Um, like, did that in any way heighten how big a, a task it was going to be? Because you're thinking then, well, Jesus, Galway. If you took a flight to Galway from here, it would be fairly fairly arduous, you know. So. Did that kind of put things into context for you when you saw the, the skyline slowly disappear in the in the, the rearview mirror? A little bit, like it was, so. The skyline was one thing, and also the, the harbour itself. Navigating that, like there was, it's like this car park for giant cargo ships, you know. So it wasn't as if we could just kind of switch off. We, you know, had to navigate this. You know, one of the, I presume it's one of the busiest harbours in the world, right? Uh, it's New York and Newark and New Jersey all in one. So. Um, at one point we were leaving and there was one of those big Danish um, Marsk, I think they're called, the Danish shipping company. And, uh, you know, I was kind of guy, Gus was rowing, I was kind of guiding them and I was like, hang on a second, no, I don't know what this guy's doing, like, you know, talking about this 300 metre cargo ship. And all of a sudden the engines cranked up and uh, like there was, n- which normally there was a bit of radio communication between us and the other ships and we tried to hail them, didn't hear anything. And literally if we had kept going, like this thing just, I don't know if he didn't see us, I probably didn't like, and he just like right in our line, um, about 50 meters, 75 meters in front of us. Like, so, you know, <laughs> this is the things you kind of had to deal with. Um, so that, that was like, that was, uh, and a time where we had to be hyper alert, you know, to what's happening because there's a lot that can go wrong there. Once we were clear of that and kind of the last ships, and, and I'm talking that took about a day and a half to get through through all of that. Um, you know, we kind of could relax a little bit, you know, because you're in the a grand expanse then. Mm. What was it? I followed the pod all the way through, and it kind of felt like, even though obviously ultimately it was just yourself, and before that for the thirteen days with yourself and Fergus, it felt like there was a cast of characters almost, like between Cushion and McCree, the weather, the water, mm-hmm. uh, the various elements, the para anchor. It just felt like this cast of characters that every day you were getting a bit of an update on. You know, there was a real humanization of non-human things, almost in a lot of ways. Yeah, especially with Cushion and McCree, because I mean, oh, I without her right I don't get across like it's kind of your like valiant steed nearly yeah. to a certain extent it, it feels like if you feel an emotional attachment to the boat you do yeah because um, she she guided me through such adversity such crap like with the weather you know like the storms and everything and she took such a beating so you do you become like she becomes a, a kind of like a, a like you said a human character nearly and uh, um you become very grateful for her um, uh, resilience and her uh, propensity to take um, a battering and to keep going and to keep going, you know. So um, she was, uh, and I, I, that's the way I talked about her on the podcast, us, and she, like, she was, she was like the, um, she took Gussie's place as the kind of second in <laughs> command as we, as we uh, trucked along. 
there, there is that. We, we mentioned Castaway earlier, and uh, I've professed my love for, for Castaway as a movie uh, right. plenty of times in the show. But uh, And there were physical resemblances as well with the beard with sure. the, Tom Hanks. Um, but there is something on that, in the inanimate, inanimate objects. And even listening to the podcast, I think there was, wasn't there one episode, not to compare it to Wilson the volleyball drifting off into the distance with a spoon went overboard? Mm. I was thinking to myself... I was like, Jesus, a disaster, the spoon's gone. <laughs> it's just a spoon at the end of the day, but yeah. people got so invested and, and, and involved in your experience that little moments like that just became huge things. Yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, kind of from start to finish, it was like the boat was been stripped of things, you know, <laughs> through capsizes and just through the challenges and the conditions you we were going through. Um, thankfully, there was always some sort of solution. You know, you bring, you try and at least um, foresee what can happen and bring like spares and spares and spares. But that spoon was like the fourth spoon. Uh, we we as a group had lost, I think, Gossie had uh, something that happened a couple of Gossies. But it was a very, um, I, that meant, you know, like that I had to start drinking the food, you know, so I had to just... Uh, which had its challenges as well because then I had to make a little bit more water which means I have to have more power but at that last six, seven weeks it was like nearly total cloud cover so I wasn't getting much power from the solar uh, through the sun, you know uh, so my battery started to diminish so much so that like kind of getting into Goa Bay I was on like 20% battery power which you know, is is, is uh, very concerning. You know, because they can just pee, they can just discharge, and then I don't, I can't make water. I don't have any comms. Don't have GPS. So like, there's all sorts of things that you kind of have to be aware of and trying to manage. You know, so a little spoon like that can have a grand effect on the bigger thing. You know, yeah. What um, we chatted a little before we came on air about like the busyness of the last ten days, and um, have you had? Did you get a chance to sit down with Fergus and have a chat with him? Or yeah, yeah. We sat down um, a couple of days ago. Now it was a little bit full, kind of because it was part of the documentary, okay. right? And the conversation was led a little bit there. But um, first and foremost, when I saw him on the dock in Galway, like I didn't know, like I had a lot of um, anger and resentment towards him at times when things got really tough, like when I was blown back time and time again, facing headwinds. Because if he was there, that you know the boat would have never really gone backwards, mm-hmm. only in very very big conditions. So. Um, it kind of ground me down a little bit. I was fine for a few weeks. The first few weeks, I didn't. It didn't bother me. But when like it got really, really tough, at, um, that's just where uh, my emotions went, you know. And he became the kind of projection of them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as an entity, as a so. But uh, when I got through the islands in um, the Iron Islands, through Inishman and Inishir, and I felt like I kind of that was always the. I suppose picture that I felt I always felt Galway Bay was safe obviously mm. you know the, the reality was a bit different but so I had this like that meant that I had this uh, I felt like I'd kind of accomplished what I wanted to accomplish and I had this kind of wash of forgiveness like this huge like uh, you know I was very aware of it you know that like um, I I I, I I wasn't angry with him anymore. It, it didn't really matter. It didn't serve me in any way to have any sort of negative emotion towards him. So um, when I saw him on the dock, it was, uh, you know, it was, um, even though I, there was still an unknown how I'd react, I was kind of very happy and content to see that I was delighted to see him and he looked great. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I was kind of nearly waiting for, to see how he'd react when in his presence, you know, mm. and then the reaction was very positive. So that was great. Anger is a big emotion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had some big emotions out there. Yeah. Yeah, because um, the extremes of it, you know. Uh, and the uh, the fact that I had no real outlets, you know. Yeah. So it just built and built and built, yeah. Because yeah. it, it, it felt like, listening to the pod for the first couple of weeks, there was a tension there between you almost, even over that period of time where 
he was clearly struggling mm. with the workload and you were just hungry for miles, miles, miles. Yeah. Is that fair enough? That, that Very. Yeah. yeah, very much so, yeah. We had a massive blowout in New York just before we were about to leave and that was all to do with the pressure, uh, the unknowns. Um, you know, we'd been running around New York for 16, 17 days, no real no real relent no like space to relax you know so I think it just built and built and built and probably left a little bit of a hangover but Mm -hmm. you know just uh, you know I didn't find that first two weeks particularly hard and he did you know and um, I was pushing him like crazy pushing pushing first because I knew the um, importance of getting away from New York and, and that there was make and break and he wasn't really like he was doing the work like he's a really good soldier like that he'll do the work do the work but he was uh, outside of that he was really kind of uh, struggling with his own kind of frustrations you know and uh, that was kind of having a little bit of effect on me even though I was trying not to let it affect me so I think that just built the tension you know in the relationship um, yeah but uh I'm happy to say <laughs> uh, once I kind of completed what I wanted to complete it was, it was all good yeah and like in some ways almost the I remember we chatted to you a couple of times before you went and it was never designed I remember asking you at one point like what happens if only something happens or whatever and you were like not even counting I'm sure you, I'm sure it was in your thoughts somewhere but you weren't countenancing the idea that mm. it was anything but uh, a two man effort but in some ways almost given that aspect of it and as I said you wouldn't have designed it that way but like that wouldn't that couldn't have continued for whatever it would have been at that point yeah. 90 days or whatever like in some ways while you never would have designed it that way maybe that was for the best yeah I think that's the the uh, the, the reality of the situation maybe it was for the best you know because as you like what would have happened I don't know but it wouldn't have been good yeah. you know if that had continued some sort of volcano was kind of rumbling and it was it was going to blow up like so uh, now saying that though I did see him come round a little bit like because um, he was really struggling day 8 day 9 day 10 um, I think you could see it in his eyes like um, yeah. he was he was fearful he was scared he was he had the realisation this was like out of his probably capacities unfortunately uh um, and I don't know if he had some sort of acceptance around that or what, but like the kind of day 11, we got in the water at one point and there was a few things you could see him kind of release a little bit of his own frustrations, but then physically he just broke down on day 12 and there was, um, obviously it was, it was a no, it, there was no Walked question he, end, had to, yeah. he had to come off the boat. So, it, and yeah, the reality is that that probably was, um, the best thing that could happen unfortunately what um, the workload that you had to do then in his absence that you've mentioned in terms of the mental aspect of it physically were you like how much extra did you have to do physically because he wasn't there was that was that would you've done roughly the same thing anyway or was it was this an additional roughly the same time I actually had to dial off a little bit myself even so we were on 12 hours a day each you know yeah um, and I had this kind of five day period post him leaving where I that's what the demands I kind of placed on myself but it was, it was too much uh, and that was really difficult to accept I have to say um, because of my belief in my own capacities uh, but I just it was uh, I was at this real I was in this real state of frustration I was it was hard conditions opposed him leaving um, but yeah those that frustration was building and building and I could see myself like it just wasn't um, sustainable you know so I had to dial back so I dialed back to ten and a half ten hours to start and then I went to ten and a half and I built it up to where by the end of the expedition I was back to twelve hours and more um, depending on the day but um, 
yeah, it was the, the, the acceptance around that took five or six days, and it was it was tough to accept it. Yeah, it, it almost reminds it's like um, Apollo Eleven when Armstrong and Aldrin go down to the moon, and Michael Collins is left by himself then to kind of circle the moon and be alone in his in his own thoughts. Like that isolation was it was it heightened massively when when Fergus left? Was there a complete change in your in your dynamic mentally? Mm. Yeah, it's a total different dynamic, right? So. I think when you're in the presence of anyone, uh, unless you're some sort of psychopath, you can't be affected by, you have to be affected by them and their emotions and what they're doing. And especially me, I'm I, like, I was the, uh, I had all the responsibility, you know, I was leading that. So I was also watching him and what he's doing and trying to, he, he can be like, I mean, I'm not bashing the guy here. It's just, he, he can be a bit lazy mentally, like, and especially when you're under such stress, you know, so I, I, I kind of have to keep an eye on him, you know, so it's very hard for me, um, to concentrate on my own stuff even though it's vital like you know because any movement or bad movement on that boat and you could be kicked off or any mistake you make so you have to be you know very um, tuned into how you're moving around the boat and how you're behaving uh, so when he was when he had left then it was it was basically a case of kind of uh, even though I'm, you know, so I'm very comfortable in my own company. Clearly, um, so I was, I was able to kind of switch into a much more um, enjoyable and a much more kind of habituated way of thinking after that. Um, it was really interesting to follow on the on the pod, like the highs and the lows, right? Because there were sort of real kind of extremes, and you're exactly like you've said there sort of analysing everything because it's like you're in your own head and that's it. Is that the way you are normally anyway, or is that just? like Shane says is it's heightened out there or is that you when you're walking down the street kind of going weighing things up well I mean less so in the world yeah, less so in a survival state like this yeah. you know what's a threat which is like it is on you know you're like watching everything because it can compromise the thing yeah. you've tried you're you know you're trying to achieve so uh, but I, I do have um, I like to think I'm quite present and I do pay attention you know, in everyday life to everything that's happening around me. But, you know, I wasn't walking down Grafton Street there going, what's a trip here? Yeah, you on it like a shot. Like. Um, and and the one of the quotes that I saw uh, read there, he said, it's nice to be alive. And it was hard to get a sense of what was big on the pod. Like, you know, you get capsized and I'm like, oh, geez, that's huge. Is this, is it all over? And you were like, I mean, it was big, mm. but it was like, it's all manageable. Was there a point where you felt when you say it's nice to be alive was there a point where you felt I might not be getting out of this oh day 24 I always come back to that storm I was like I think it was just downgraded from a tropical storm coming off um, uh, coming from the Caribbean up the east coast of America and uh, I ended up I put out the power anchor ended up capsizing three times while on power anchor Mm -hmm. and uh, that's just that's not meant to happen like that's unusual Uh, (laughs) and I I had to be told that like I was like is this I've never you know because I I used power anchor a few times up to in the previous row and in this row and I was like I didn't think that happened I was asking the guy who did my land support and weather out and Chris was his name and he was like no that's highly unusual I was like I thought so yeah so but um, that was like about 19 or 20 hours I can't remember exactly that storm as it passed through and uh, I capsized the f- three times in the first five or six hours of that 
and then the next that next 14 hours were the longest hours of my life whatever 13, 14, 15 hours whatever it was because you're just sitting in this cabin that's like airtight and sealed and like it's getting boomed around and mm. flushed around by the waves and um, you're just in a state of anticipation for the next capsize and you know you just clearly don't want that to happen you know because I'd had some um water ingress through a mistake of mine I was meant to I've had, you know a hatch has the hatch um has a uh, vent in it for air mm. now it's it's a very minimal amount of air but it's something and I thought I had locked that but I hadn't and what had happened during the capsize that water had rushed in through it uh, so that's a big threat you know any water into the electrics uh, so then for the next uh, whatever that was 14 hours you know you're just sitting there waiting for this kind of thing to come listening you can hear the waves and they make different sounds and you know the ones that are um, possible capsizes they kind of hiss like the wave has broken and then it hisses along and you're just lying there going is this the one and you're kind of your arms shoot out when you hear that hissing and your feet go to the sides you know and then it doesn't knock you over and then you know you're waiting you're waiting is the next one coming so there's and no that water was, coming in there you're just in there in an airtight bubble yeah holding yeah holding on kind of waiting for that kind of capsize to come that did thankfully never came but that doesn't mean the um, the anticipation of it yeah. is you know you still have to live through that which is the the real drain like in the real kind of hard you know dark enough moments mm-hmm. like so that that like I was genuinely kind of scared in that uh, in those hours just waiting 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 um, but after that I didn't really have anything you know on that same level thankfully does it write itself it does yeah, yeah. sorry yeah it goes uh, either one eight, depending on the power of the wave it'll go 180 into the water and pop back up or it'll go the full 360 which it did in those moments and, yeah, it's like being in a washing machine basically yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that day 24 storm that you mentioned and I, and I think even on the podcast you said that it was the first time I was scared for the expedition yeah. uh, I found the wording of that fascinating I was scared for the ex- expedition as opposed to scared for myself like was there, is there an element of that it's the old, old Tom Wolfe right stuff book where he's talking about the fear of embarrassment and the fear of failure nearly being uh, more than the fear of death like was it was was that the attitude you almost had in your head that look uh, I need to need to achieve this regardless uh, so you're almost having uh, a fear of, of not not accomplishing it yeah. above all else yeah exactly yeah and that comes back to that piece I was talking about just being really attentive around all the kind of threats that are out there and trying to mitigate them you know that's where you might concentration and focus goes um, because you know I've put three and a half years of work into it and made it kind of realised it and got it going and now it's time to actually kind of bring it to the other side of the ocean basically and, and that just it doesn't happen from uh, very little energy it takes huge amounts of energy and focus so like when you're out there then that's all multiplied right you know you're you're watching everything like a hawk and um, and the big tra- and the big worry is failure, yeah, yeah, and and not achieving what you want to achieve. So uh, that's where my focus goes anyway. To where you know the things that can stop us. And on that day, um, water ingress, you know, fl- frying all the electrics that would mean game over. Like I'd be safe, right? You know, still doesn't mean I wasn't scared. But you know, if I'd just be rescued then after that, but the whole thing would go down the drain and. Like there's the there's the demoralising nature as well of of some mornings I'm sure waking up and realising that you've you've gone backwards. Yeah. I mean you've you've been you know expending so much energy the day before, uh, and then you wake up and you see right Jesus how did I end up here? Yeah. Um, and you know it's of co- course because of the weather and the winds and whatever else. But uh, how, how do you manage that? Because I can't imagine psychologically trying to deal with that when you're already physically in bits, but you're trying to then process. I've gone backwards. 
overnight so like it, it must be demoralising oh it's heartbreaking crushing sometimes those first few strokes every morning as well even like so right it's happened so I accept it and I, I kind of became desensitised to actually going backwards although it was always like hit me you know yeah. um, it became less and less but the first few strokes then in the day are absolutely vital and you kind of you all like I'm an optimist and I always have hope every, I, I had a modicum of hope at least it was constantly chopped away and weaned down as I went but it was still there and I'd, you'd almost hold your breath for those first few strokes to see your I'd be looking at the speed and if it wasn't of the boat you know and if it wasn't over about two knots I'd know I'm in for a really long hard day and probably every time I drop the oars I'm going backwards which is I have to I have to rest at some point right mm-hmm. um, and, and that's hard to deal with again you're thinking forward from the day and you're like oh man here we go again like I'm just today is you know a fight it's going to be a fight to get this boat to move forward and uh, over time that becomes really 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 challenging you know it's just like you've only got so much energy and there's so much kind of drive to to kind of get back into that fight and you just after a while you just want I pray for an easy day just give me just give me something from you know give me a bit of um, wind behind the boat just give me something and yeah um at, yeah, I, I hit despair a few times. Like, there's an absolute, like, just why is this so hard? Why can't I get any luck? I didn't have any luck with the weather. Like, mm. it, was, it was just, yeah, yeah, just constantly. Um, so, the first half took 44 days, the second half took 68 days to get across, and I all had headwinds, headwinds because of that. Just, you know, n- no, uh, yeah, no fortune really, unfortunately. Where is the boat this morning? She's not in Roy, actually, in Gussie's yard. Right. She's, she deserves a bit of chilling out. She, she does. Out for a, while. <laughs> a bit of TLC. She's pretty uh, beaten up, but somehow she she took that beating on the rocks in Furbo for uh, whatever it was, seven or eight hours. Serious beating, yeah. wasn't it? it was, she was, it was, yeah. It was very damaged. Yeah, yeah. Um, thankfully, just really, like, amazing people yeah. were there to um, to help. Like, they, they've literally got out of bed at all hours of the morning and as I was leaving Furbo um, with uh, MacDara who managed the project and just lives in Barna which is only like a couple of miles down the road so I rang him <laughs> from the rocks uh, You couldn't get any closer to his house Honestly like. <laughs> the first person that came into my mind so I rang Chris my land supports just to let him know the e was the electric um the beacon, the emergency beacon was off and he needed to coordinate okay. something. Then I ran Mac. I said, have you got a high-powered torch and a pair of trainers and old trainers? Because my feet, I was barefoot at that yeah. point. My, the, the things I was wearing had ripped off in the in the rocks. Uh, so he, uh, once um, I got checked over by the ambulance service, he drove me back to Renmore, my home place. And as we were leaving Furbo, uh, Justin, the boat builder, who'd come over for the, the homecoming or the arrival, Chris, my land support, and Gussie, who they were all staying together, uh, they were staying at Gussie's house, were arriving in Furbo. Okay. And then uh, as they were leaving, so they just wanted, Justin wanted to see what was happening and oh. seeing if he could protect the boat, and they did what they could. Uh, the Olivers, which is a local family in um the yeah. Clada who work on the they were actually on the um, Coast Guard rescue boat on the way out to me until they got pulled um, got notified to come back right. uh, thankfully because there, there was no need but um, so they came out to Furbo and they brought a load of tyres and protected the, the boat and then a load of locals the next morning helped as well um, and you feel that attachment with it you want to protect it you don't want, uh, to, yeah. you don't want to lose it it's been so important to you yeah absolutely yeah and I, and I, I must say like I when I that night like the way it ended I you know I didn't have a great perspective on everything and I just thought failure like I thought it had ruined Did I you, thought yeah. the boat was ruined I thought like yeah I was pretty down now I must admit um 
but it, you know it, it kind of talking to some people and hearing their perspective kind of gave me much better and can't see the woods from the trees right so, can I ask you because I was having a whatsapp conversation with somebody that morning and I was like we were both following the pod and we were chatting away about it and I was like oh jeez I can't believe it he got so close and my mate was like what are you talking about it's unbelievable it's yeah. like he's, he's done it and it was yeah. I'm sure that was maybe what was going on in your head to a degree yeah absolutely I was definitely coming at it from your perspective and you know Galway was what six or seven miles away and yeah. you know washing up on the rocks and like I just couldn't get I had this really clean image I suppose of the finish you know and this almost romantic image yeah. even though you could argue the other way is a bit more romantic yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and that's and hearing people talk about it that way just gave, gave me clarity a bit more you know um, of a kind of a better overview on what happened and, and just uh, I was able to kind of come to terms with it a bit easier like much easier actually just hearing people talk about that like yeah that was probably a a better way to finish I don't know but uh, well you'll never know no. and that's, and that's gra- as you would say that's fine yeah. you, you live with that You're, um, the, the visualisation was the thing that you kept talking about all the time mm. and as, but maybe that was part of the attachment as well even outside of the heroic nature of being able to do the thing of rowing in there but that visualisation that was almost it felt at times like a magnet yeah. that was drawing you forward a lot and then suddenly you know, it's a big accommodation then to have to say, well, that, it's not happening that way. Mm, yeah. But it was so much, it gave me so much, coming back to your point, Shane, like about, you know, when I was at my lowest, like, uh, there were some things I had to turn to, right? And that those images that I had used for so long to, to well, to make the project happen. Um, and and then in, in those moments became so important because, well, emotion, they're emotional, right? And emotion is energy. And I was able to kind of uh, leverage that emotion and, and those imagery and get energy to kind of do what I needed to do every day, which was put in the work to get the boat to, to go away. So I was very attached to them, you know, and they came up a lot for me. There was, there was actually times where I think I was so bloody tired that I actually couldn't, um, uh, I couldn't access the, the depth of the, imagery that I had from before but that was just something that came up for me but it was always I was always leaning towards them and, and I you know it was always a very helpful tool to have and the other thing was just gratitude like you know just been grateful for the opportunity and it's privileged to do it and you know been grateful for the small little things I had a you know I had a safe cabin you know I was, I was always trying to um, give myself a better perspective on what I was doing because it's very easy to get sucked into the you know uh, victim mentality oh my god so hard why is it so hard so I was always trying to kind of uh, get a better broader view of what I was doing and how lucky I was to do it and the little things I had on board you know oh well I have food you know I mean you know you know some people don't have that right so so it, that that helped a lot as well in in those moments of kind of despair it's it, it's funny the word that the word inspiration is kind of bandied around and thrown around so often that it almost becomes a little bit um cliched but you reference the people you know clambering for you when you when you get off the boat as well in in, in Galway but even even like myself, I remember watching some of your old videos, you know, climbing Aconcagua and Kilimanjaro, and I have to say, myself and, and a couple of my mates probably only climbed, we did Kilimanjaro a couple of years ago, probably only did it based on your videos. Right. <laughs> Visited the Amani Children's Home as well, which I know oh, you, you raised money for, yeah. probably only because we heard of it through yourself. Yeah. But, like, are, are, is that something you're, you're now aware of? Are you, know, are you more appreciative or aware of... The, the inspiration that you might have on other people I know the social media aspect probably gives you a fair idea but yeah. uh, there's a real tangible impact you're having on other people I suppose as well yeah I find it hard to access it, I must say like I, I love like I mean the words are lovely and people say really nice things but um, and I don't know uh, if this is the right thing or, or but I, I kind of I let it go like you know I don't get caught up in it too much or um, like say for example when I 
when I make a podcast or do one of those videos, I, I never think about it again. I never go back and watch. I just try and be as authentic as possible and kind of give people an insight into the story because I, I find that, uh, well, clearly I, I like challenge and I think it's a really, um, uh, for me anyway, it's an important thing to bring into my life and it gives me a lot. So I'm just, that's the thing I'm trying, that's the message, you know, I'm trying to, uh, I suppose, convey like in, on, a, on a broad scale is to, you know, find something you love in life and challenge yourself through it and it'll give you lots, you know. So so once I feel I've kind of hit those notes, uh, I'm pretty happy with it. And anything else that comes from it, great, you know. And uh, But yeah, in terms of kind of, I do, I do struggle to connect with that whole like, uh, inspiration thing like I just again just try and try and be authentic and if if I am that's enough for me like and if people get something from that fantastic you know Mm -hmm. I definitely felt listening to you this morning and listening to the podcast that it was just all a metaphor for something obviously you're you know I'm doing it as I'm going about my day I'm listening to what's going on and you're having a very different experience of that but I certainly felt as if all the different challenges were a metaphor for something else and again kind of listen to you maybe the same thing kind of this morning what's the plan for Kushla then will you like leave her, you leave her be for a while anyway. But yeah, we will get her fixed up. Um, back to Justin who built her. Like it just, I mean, it's a testament to his building. Again, um, something I was conscious of with the with the end in mind here is to you know you get people involved in your team who are passionate about what they do and love what they do. And he just absolutely loves building boats and he does it really to the highest quality. Mm. Puts his heart and soul into it. So get it back to him. He'll fix her up, and then we. Uh, we kind of so Project Empower was the name of the the, the, the project, and and we want to use what we've kind of built. You know, I, I think um, it's got a good following, and uh, it can be. It's a platform now for people to row an ocean, and um, kind of what you alluded to there. I, I feel uh, rowing an ocean is like a condensed life of challenges. You know, so if you have that experience, it it gives you a lot to deal with every day stuff that comes up when you're back in land you know so it's a great I feel it's a great thing to do I think everyone should row an ocean it's not going to happen um, but Easy, yeah, yeah, yeah you know it's, it gives you great perspective on life it's it's humbling um, and uh, you get to kind of get to know yourself a little bit better so we're going to use that platform to try and you know get uh, other people um, or give them the experience anyone who's interested in doing it so is Everest is Everest I know the, the whole Everest expedition COVID yeah. got in the way the last time like is that is that a case of unfinished business in your head or what's the what's the I know the seven summits yeah. in particular is something you're, you're mad keen to, to finish so yeah. where where is Everest in your in your head at the minute uh, yeah I want to I want to achieve it I want to stand on top of the world I want to have I want to challenge myself through it like I find mountaineering quite it's a total different beast to um, ocean rowing it's uh, because there's like extreme physical and mental peaks in uh in mountaineering because they lack oxygen you know so you go into those states of hyperventilation that whereas ocean rowing is just this relentless beast um so i want to i want to challenge myself you know and trying to get to the highest point in the world and um yeah um kind of timeline i'm not pushed with it I, right now i'm like i'm thinking two three four years you know whenever i kind of um raise or re refine the emotional energy to start a new campaign you know the training and the obviously the fundraising and all that it's uh, it's it, it, you need that you know you can't go into it half kind of hearted or or half full of energy so yeah just it's probably the next thing again you know get back there and, and give it a good go but uh for now um you know i'm, I'm not pushed on timelines with it 
Yeah, well, we're not going to push you on it this morning either. Uh, thanks, William, for coming in. I'm sure there's loads of stuff that there's a million different things that we never got to and that we're never going to get to. But I'm sure there'll be some something else. The documentary is coming out. Documentary. There might be a book. Down yeah, the track hoping or, hoping to write a book. Uh, well, yeah, I'm starting pretty soon yeah yeah okay yeah. well look we look forward to all that it's been brilliant catching up with you I'm sure you've uh, loads of people to catch up with loads of world events that have happened I'm sure over the last yeah. while as well that you're like oh did that <laughs> oh she's she's de- oh she's dead okay and foods foods, <laughs> foods to catch yeah. up on you think more than, a lot more than just supermarkets yeah, exactly <laughs> brilliant Damon thanks a million thanks, thanks a lot, lot yeah. Yeah. you can check out uh, as Damon said his Project Empire if you want to check out his social handles to get all the details on that how you can get involved you can donate to the chosen charities and uh, keep an eye out for that documentary upcoming as well and Deep Roots podcast uh, brilliant listen and uh, plenty in it if you want to go back even if you haven't caught it in real time uh, that is pretty much it uh, from us for this morning it's quarter to ten uh, we've uh, really enjoyed the last couple of hours brought to you live each morning of course by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day back on Monday morning it'll be Jar and Nathan in studio Nathan will be kicking off proceedings with a no doubt a perfect rendition of his Gillette Labs performance rankings need to be very careful around that stuff at the minute uh, it's a bumper show all the way from there it'll be Mike Carlson Laurie Whitehall as well Alan Quinlan will be back Paul Galvin will be along as well uh, to talk GA and he'll be live in studio so plenty of reasons to stay tuned OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar